the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. Podcast. How you doing? My name is Nick DeGilio. I am your host. You are with the Radio Misfits Podcast Network, the best podcast network on the planet. This is the Nick D Podcast, episode number 208. Special episode because Eric Childress and Steve Procopi, who are my uh, film critic buddies, who are members of the Chicago Film Critics Association, been professional film critics for many years, and have helped me review movies here on this podcast and on my show uh, when I was on the radio. Uh, I have been a film critic for over 37 years professionally, and every year we put together our list of the best movies of the year and the worst movies of the year, and we do a special show to talk about the best and the worst movies of the year. So that's what this is. It's a special episode. Uh, Esmeralda will be taking this episode off. She will be back on the next episode. So it's just going to be about the best and the worst movies of 2023. Uh, we're going to concentrate mostly on the best, and then at the end we'll whip through the titles that we thought were the worst, because it's better to talk about the great movies that you should see and you should remember and you should cherish from the year 2023 instead of all the crap. But we will talk about the crap. But it is the year in review movies. I've been doing this for 37 years. I love talking about the best movies of every year, and it's been an interesting year. So Eric Childress and Deepard Copia are going to join me, and we're going to jump right in and do a special extended episode dedicated entirely to the year in movies of 2023. Look who's excited. Hi, I'm Carrie Russell, and I love Nick's show. I know you do, baby. Hey, you want to be a part of this podcast? You should sponsor or be an advertiser on this podcast. Lots of people listen to this podcast. It'd be good for you. Write us, sales at radiomisfits.com. Say, I want to sponsor this podcast. Sales at radiomisfits.com. You want to leave a voicemail just in general? Say hi, contributions, uh, the uh, the magic megaphone message, whatever you want. Open 24-7. Anytime you want to call us, we want to hear from you. 773-417-6948. Drop us an email anytime. Podcast at gmail.com. Jason Skaggs does all the music and the sounds and the themes. Ed is the main man at Radio Misfits. Check out radiomisfits.live. It's our 24-hour streaming service with all amazing episodes of the great podcasts available at Radio Misfits uh, Podcast Network. And that's running 24-7. It's free. It's like radio, only a lot cooler. Radiomisfits.live. Get to it now. All right. Speaking of get to it, we need to get to it. The year of 2023 is over. We are officially into a brand new year. And we always look back at the entertainment and all the cool stuff and all the great uh, pop culture events which we'll be talking about in the coming uh, coming days and weeks on the podcast. But right now we are focusing on the big thing, the thing that got, that started my entire career, movies. I am a film critic, so is Eric, so is Steve, and we are going to talk about the best movies of 2023. Thusly. Congratulations. You're about to listen to the Nick D Podcast. It's by far the best decision you've made today. It makes the other podcasts seem like crap. Oh yeah, don't be a jagoff. Hi, 
That's right. It's the theme, the generic music movie theme <laughs> from, I think, CBS, late night movie, something like that from the 70s. But it's, it's movies. It indicates that we're going to talk about movies. And we talk about movies uh, twice a week, or twice a week, uh, every other week, twice a month, <laughs> with uh, Eric Childers and Steve Procopi, who are my buddies and members of the Chicago Film Critics Association. Uh, and every year, we unveil our uh, best movies of the year. You know, it's the beginning of uh, the year. It's a brand new year, so we reflect the first couple of weeks, or the first month, everybody reflects on the best and worst of everything, you know, related to the year before, whether it be music or books or theater or sports or, you know, pop culture. But we concentrate on the movies here with Eric and Steve, so it's time to talk about the best and a little bit of the worst movies of 2023. So let me first welcome Eric Childress. How you doing, Eric? Okay. All right. And Steve Procopi. Hello, Steve. Hello. All right. Before we get started, tell everybody where they can read and hear and see all your stuff. Eric, you go first. Yes. Uh, well, on the Now Playing Network, we have the Movie Madness podcast. Uh, you got Steve a cold, don't I, you? You got. A I cold. do have a cold. You yeah. can hear that, can't uh, you? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Got the lovely <laughs> stuffy in the morning. Yeah. yeah it sounds so sounds, uh, sounds good, but sounds good. So no, it's going to be, be a fun show. <laughs> yeah. So, All right. uh, yes, the Movie it's... Madness podcast available at the Now Playing Network. Uh, usually cold free. Uh, Steve and I do uh, movie reviews there, and uh, Peter Sabzinski and I do uh, Blu-ray uh, talks every week. And then uh, the Friendship Dilemma, that is the other podcast that I co-host with Morgan Guy where we talk about uh, male and female friendships in the movies, and we'll have uh, new episodes for you coming very shortly. Okay, that's where you can hear and read and see see all the uh, Eric stuff. Steve Procopi, tell everybody where they can get your stuff and see you. Yeah, you can read my reviews and interviews at thirdcoastreview.com. Uh, and like Eric said, we do the Movie Madness podcast every week. And then I'm also a, a frequenter of my uh, main job at the Music Box Theater where I'm the PR manager. And apparently I've become the de facto host of our Hitchcock and Friends series, which really? kind of got sprung on me last weekend. Yeah. Really? All right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Although I don't know if I'll, I won't be there every week, but uh, right. and I won't have nearly the preparation that I did for the uh, Wilder right. stuff, but it's... Uh, you, you need help. It, you need you need help with Blowout, let me know. <laughs> no, I, honestly, right. we're just promoting the rest of the series every time okay. I get up there. All right. so, I anyway. got you, but if you need any if you need any help with Blowout, I can let you know because yeah, yeah. it's the greatest movie, one of the greatest movies ever made. So Blowout, by the way, uh, will be part of the Hitchcock and Friends um, showing uh, it in two series weeks. in two <laughs> weeks, January thirteenth and fourteenth at eleven thirty a.m. Uh, at the music box. I wouldn't miss it for the world. Okay, all right. So that's what's going on with Steve. That's what's going on with Eric. Got a lot to talk about, so let's get to it. Um, overall, let's start with you, uh, Eric. Um, overall, 2023, good year, bad year. What do you think? Oh, I got to say it was a good year because not less than 20 minutes ago, I was reorganizing this very list we're going to be talking about, looking mm -hmm. at my 20 to 30 list. And like, man, there's some really good stuff that are not going to get mentioned by me today. And that's yeah. really kind of a shame. Yeah. So I'm, it must, I mean, there's a lot of crap this year. Well, when we get to the worst list, there's a lot of crap this year. Yeah. But as always, we remember the good stuff. And uh, yeah. we're certainly going to have at least 20 movies we're going to talk about. Steve, what do you think of the year? I, I was very impressed with it, although I, I agree with Eric. The hardest part for me was organizing the top 10 um, because I wasn't sure going into writing my list what my number one was. And it kind of just it was very organic. And usually I kind of have an idea early in the year or at some point during the year. I'm like, OK, that's the one. And I never felt because it was between like two or three. But um, and I, I'll have I'm going to have a good time comparing my list to Nick's worst list. So anyway, that'll be the... <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. Uh, I thought this year was good. I thought last year there were better movies. 
Um, there might not have oh. been. There not might might have been. I, what I'm saying is, I guess uh, what I'm saying is, there might not have been more better movies, but the movies that were good were better. Like I think my top ten list last year, the movies were better than my top ten list this year. Um, because there were some stuff that came out. There was some stuff that came out last year that just blew the back of my brain out, and that's the case with some of the things that are on my list this year. But I just thought the quality of my top ten list last year was better than the quality of my top 10 li- list this year. And not to, to say that these movies aren't great, because they are, but I just thought I was more intensely um, uh, 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 connected to and really, really loved the movies of 2022, just a little bit more than the movies of 2023. But I thought 2023 was a great year. A, a lot of really great stuff. And I agree with you, Eric. There's a lot of stuff that won't get mentioned um, that should, because there, have been, there yeah. were some really solid, mm-hmm. terrific, great, entertaining movies um, you know, that I, I make a list of 40, you know, every year and that bottom 40, all quality, all great stuff. Um, so, yeah. all right. So overall, we thought it was a good year. You guys thought it was a better year than I did, but, uh, but yeah. And, uh, and we'll see about the, the worst of list. Uh, I, I think again, honestly, I think that, ha- that, that there were more of those crossovers last year, you know, you guys had on your best list that I had on my worst list last year than this year. <laughs> There's only a couple. There's only a couple that made my worst list that would make your best list. Last year, there were quite a few. I mean, last year, there were quite – because I fucking hated Tar. I ha- I mean, all of those movies yeah. that everybody loved last year, I hated. So a um, little bit different this year. Okay. Well, let's start. Let's go, uh, let's go around the board. We're going we're gonna to tell uh, everybody our top 20 best movies of the year. We'll talk briefly about the, you know, about them each, discuss them, and all that cool stuff. You want to jump in with whatever you want to say. If you agree, you disagree. What do you think of the movie? All that cool stuff. Mm-hmm. So why don't we start with? Um, we'll, we'll go around the horn and we'll start with Eric. Eric, what is number twenty on your best of twenty twenty three movie list? Number twenty sneaking in uh, is Mission Impossible: Dead Reckoning Part One, uh, a series that just continually just is just awesome. And even though if this one was slightly less than maybe the last couple, it's was still good enough to be one of the best action movies of the year. So number twenty is the part one of Mission Impossible: Dead Reckoning. Yeah, it's a, and it didn't make my my top, my top twenty either, and that's that's a damn shame. But it was it, those movies are unbelievable. They're just yep. unbelievable. Uh, uh, they really are. There's not a bad one, and I, you know, and I know that the John Woo one is weak, but it's still eh, better. Well, yeah. It's it's still better than most crap that you see. But uh, other than that, the most consistent and astonishing action series that I've seen in, in a very. And Steve, sure. you liked Mission Impossible, I would imagine. I, it was in my top thirty, not my top yeah, twenty. Me but too. Yes, it, was it was in my there. top thirty. Okay. All right, number twenty, Steve. For on the, and I on will say this about Mission Impossible. This yeah. is the I don't often do this, but I actually re-watched all the other ones leading up to just because I knew there were story elements coming characters coming back yeah. from the earliest films. And I'm like, I feel like I need to watch these again because I haven't really revisited some of them in a while. So I, and that was a very fulfilling practice. So yeah, I may do that great, more often. Okay. Great movies. Uh, great my, movies. Yeah, okay. yeah, for sure. My number 20 is Todd Haynes, May, December uh, with Natalie Portman and Julianne Moore, but with a, um, standout performance and i don't know remember the guy's name because i don't have the notes down here but uh who's the act who's the actor we charles gave, gave charles gave melton charles to. melton yeah charles charles melton. melton as the uh now grown uh husband of julianne moore's character who i mean this is obviously the mary kay letourneau story done in a fictionalized form with an actress visiting um uh, visiting the the family today and it's there's a lot of tension. It's even uh, slightly sexy, although not in the places you think <laughs> it's going to be, or you're, maybe you're glad it's not. Uh, but um, 
but and, and you kind of come out of it realizing that uh, Natalie Portman's the villain in the story. So anyway, uh, I, I love this movie. I, it's and I love the like weird music cues and and some of the camera stuff that Haynes is doing. So, yeah, May, December. Yeah. You'll, you'll hear that one again coming soon. So, yeah. Uh, there you yeah. Go. All right. Number 20 on my list is a movie that everybody hated. Uh, I, I <laughs> think I was kind of comparing it to the response that. Uh, I got last year for loving Amsterdam, and including Amsterdam as one of my favorite movies <laughs> of the year. So this year's Amsterdam for me is a terrific movie that everybody hated called Faux, and this was with um, Saoirse Ronan and Paul Mescal, um, and it was directed by Garth Davis, who did Lion and a few episodes of Top of the Lake. Um, I thought a great movie, a, a weird sort of ambiguous sci-fi movie, but a really, really accurate and great movie about marriage. Uh, so, <laughs> <laughs> um, and I thought the two performances, the three performances, there were three, only really only three actors in the entire film. Um, it is sort of a weird sci-fi movie that's really uh, could have been a stage play. It could be, it could be a play. It's very isolated in a very in one room one house um and it tells this crazy story about uh, a robot who kind of replaces a husband while the husband is away uh colonizing a planet uh and what happens between this replacement and uh and the wife uh i think two great performances by two great actors uh i thought it was really unique and funny and awesome and weird and uh and great and everybody hated it but me so number 20 is foe on my list i think it comes out on amazon this week if i'm not mistaken yeah well, um, so i think everybody everybody should, will watch it and hate it so that's uh, yeah. how it, <laughs> <laughs> that's, uh, i loved it man i had a great response everybody i know man it was interesting to talk to people after that screening who they thought i should be committed but anyway all right <laughs> so that's our number 20s all right eric 19 <clears throat> Okay, my number 19 from a movie that everybody hated to a movie that I know Nick hated, uh, and it is Blackberry, a film that opened our <laughs> Chicago Critics Film Festival this year. Uh, you know, there was a lot of product cinema this year, like Air and, uh, I mean, Beanie Bubble and a whole bunch of other things. Uh, Blackberry really stood out for me. I love Glenn Howerton's performance in this movie. Uh, this movie made me laugh from top to bottom, uh, and I, <clears throat> I just think it's a very, very interesting film about uh, where we were in the tech industry at that time and uh where we are today so blackberry is my number 19 19 okay yeah i did hate that movie all right um yeah. steve <laughs> steve what's 19 for you uh number 19 is cassandro which uh i think i saw at sundance last year and then it didn't come out till almost the end of the year but i was convinced that if the film had come out at the end of last year it might have gotten some awards consideration for gael garcia bernal and, and he a, should and he should he should get yeah. awards. No, no a, one's talking about it. He's it's not incredible. Happen, he's, he's incredible. Yeah. Incredible. Not just the best performance he's ever given, but just one of the best of the year. Yep. And yeah, about he plays a, a Mexican wrestler, uh, a very specific kind in the in the Exotico. Luchador. He plays Exotico, Exotico, right? Yeah. And so he, uh, but he's op he's sort of openly gay. Well, sort of openly gay, and then and then he ends up becoming a hero. I mean, these characters were built to be beaten. Uh, and uh, insulted by the audience and insulted by the other wrestlers. And he, and this is a true story, and he, and he kind of turned the tide on, on the way those characters are treated. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and it's a phenomenal film. And I can't yeah. believe it didn't make my top 10, but yeah, here it is at 19. It didn't, so. it didn't, make, it didn't make my 20, uh, but it's, uh, it was right up there um, as yeah. one, of the, one of the best. One of the, one of the two terrific movies about wrestling this year, which yeah. is uh, uh, interesting. Well, Eric doesn't think yeah, so I about know. the second one. No. But, uh, but Cassandra, if you've not seen it, it's great. Eric, you've seen it, right? Yes, yeah, no, yeah. I liked it. Yeah, yeah, he's terrific in it as well. Okay, so that's 19. Number 19 for me is Alice Darling, um, which was directed by Bill Nye's daughter, Mary Nye. 
Uh, and I think features the best performance that Anna Kendrick has ever given. Now, I know a lot of uh, it, it got released in 2022 in certain places and it, and it played festivals in 2022, but it didn't get a release in Chicago. And that's why I'm counting it. Didn't get a release in Chicago until February of last year. Um, uh, a powerful movie about, um, you know, because you know, a lot of films have been made about physical abuse. Um, you know, in, in relationships. Um, uh, but this is about the, the mentally the toll that abuse can take on someone. Um, it is uh, heartbreaking. It is uh, accurate. It is gr- a great film with female, about female relationships and friendships and how they deal with trauma. Directed by a woman, one of the great movies. Direct, a lot of great uh, movies directed oh, by yeah. w- women this year. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was a, an incredibly strong year for female directors uh, this year. Incredible. Um, there is a, there are a ton in my top 40. Um, I mean, I would say at least half are directed by women. Almost half are directed by women, maybe more. Uh, and this is one of them. I thought it was great. And I think it's Anna Kendrick's best performance ever. And that I think is saying a lot, but I was, I was profoundly moved by it. Alice Darling. Um, and, and technically 2022, I guess. Right. But it came out in Chicago in 2023. Right. Right. How it, right. Yeah. 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 You guys liked it. Did you not? Did you like it? Very much. Absolutely. Oh, it's a great movie. Yeah. 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 So, okay, Alice Darling, that's my 19. All right, moving up on the list of the best movies of 2023. Eric, what's your 18? Okay, my 18. I love how you just keep setting me up, Nick, because my number 18 <laughs> is directed by a woman named yeah. Nicole Holof Center called oh, You yeah. Hurt My Feelings. Yeah, uh, Julie yeah. Louis Dreyfus, uh, a film that I think has just kind of gotten lost in the shuffle a bit. Uh, this is one of my favorite movies that I saw at Sundance last year, and as I've seen so many movies this year that try to deal with relationships and adults and whatnot. It's just so refreshing to see a movie that could have been a sitcom-like story told with through the eyes of actual adults and yeah. humans. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's really funny, and it's, it's really revealing, uh, and I, I think it's terrific. It's called You Hurt My Feelings. The other thing, is, it's, it's interesting because it's like, um, it's like a movie that, it seems like a Woody Allen movie, but good. Uh, <laughs> You know what I mean? Because it's New Yorkers. Yeah. Up, you know what I mean? It's, it, it's, it's, yeah. it's in that milieu, but it was like, you know, when, when there was that short period of time when, uh, when Woody Allen was actually making some pretty good movies back in the late 70s, in the, in the mid-70s. Yeah. And it, seems, it seemed like that. I think the movie's true. It didn't quite make my top 20, but I thought it was terrific. Um, yeah. All right. Steve, number 18. It was in my 40. It was, I did 40 yeah. this year also, so it was yeah. in my 40. Uh, me too. My number, me too. what are we, 18? 18? 18. 18. Near the top of my list is Bottoms. Uh, and the... Siegel, uh, Seligman's uh, just completely subversive comedy about teenagers trying to get laid, only this time it's girls. So, uh, so yes, I, I think this is one of the funny... It might be... I don't know if it's my highest-ranking comedy, but it's pretty high up there. Yeah. Um, I can't see the rest of my list right yet, but uh, if we don't count Barbie, then yes, it is my, it's probably my highest-ranking comedy, but... I, I just love this movie. I went to see it multiple times in the theater. I wanted to yeah. support the hell out of it. And uh, I, yeah, I just love it. I just saw tw- I just watched it. It was on MGM on the cable. It was on, on the yeah. cables the other night. Laughed my ass off again. Um, I, I, and I'm, I'm blanking on the football player's name um, who played the teacher. Um, oh, Marshawn oh. Lynch. Oh, my yeah. God. Yeah. Unbelievable. <laughs> <laughs> so, and that, that was a great, uh, that's a great movie. Yeah. Bottoms, very, very funny. Another uh, well, directed by a woman and, uh, and mm-hmm. great, great performances. But man, that supporting performance, Jesus Christ, was that funny. I, <laughs> so, yeah. Bottoms, great movie. Again, in my top, in my, I think it was in my top 30 for sure. 
Huh. Okay, 18 for me is uh, a movie that I guess no one really liked this much. I think people kind of were like, oh, it was okay. I really connected to and I loved uh, my number 18, which is Somewhere in Queens, uh, which is Ray Romano's mm. uh, directorial debut. He co-wrote it, um, and it's about uh, he and Laurie Metcalf play a couple, and they're dealing with their, with their son. Um, uh, uh, he and, and Ray Romano kind of hires a girl to pretend to be her, you know, a, a girlfriend after breaking up with him, and blah blah blah. Complications ensue. But I thought it was really lovely and very very funny. And I'm a fan of Ray Romano's in general, and um, I thought he did a really nice job with it. And Laurie Metcalf is unbelievable. All the performances are really strong. Laurie Metcalf is unbelievable in it. But I really, I found I've, I saw it a couple of times, and I just I I, th- I thought it was moving and lovely and sweet and very very funny. And, uh, and I think it needs more attention than it got. I mean, nobody really saw it. But uh, Ray Romano actually directed a movie this year, and it's number 18 on my list, and it's <laughs> somewhere in Queens. So, all right. That so that's good. 18. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I was a fan. <clears throat> uh, and I think everybody would agree, even if they're not crazy about the movie, everybody would agree how much Laurie Metcalf rules. And, by the way, it's got maybe the funniest final. No, not the, no. Bar- Barbie has the funniest final line of any movie this year. Uh. Um, but somewhere in Queens, that last line. That, that, it is good. <laughs> the yes. last line that Laurie Metcalf has, stellar. So, okay. <laughs> All right, 17. Let's go. Eric, number 17. Uh, number 17, a little bit of a trend. Uh, I have a movie called Rye Lane uh, that also premiered at Sundance last year. Uh, it's available on Hulu now if you've not seen it. Uh, and it's this really funny, really wonderful story about uh, these two African-Americans who uh, just kind of, in almost like a link letter before sunrise kind of thing, just spend the day together talking uh, as he's going through this very strange breakup and she helps him with it. Uh, and then, you know, eventually in rom-com they come together. Uh, but it has a really great visual style to it. It's another movie that could have just been a very easy sitcom-like kind of story, but uh, it's got a lot of energy to it and a lot of humor. And the two leads, David Johnson and Vivian Oprah, uh, two of the, the really great breakups performances of the year i thought rye lane it's on hulu right now okay man i missed that one i missed that one How did I oh you gotta check it out man yeah. you so weren't the good. only one man you weren't it's yeah. a fantastic it's in my number 26 it's an amazing film oh shit i gotta just catch got up. the shaft yeah. it got the shaft when it came out did it even I- open in chicago eric no, it, it, it was straight to Hulu. It was, I think, yeah. it was See, a searchlight film, but it was one of those oh, that, yeah, that yeah. got sold to Hulu. Yeah, I, uh, you know, I remember, I remember hearing about it, but I never got around to it. I'm such a jag off. I'm gonna have to watch that one for sure. Oh. I've, I've, mar- I've marked it down. I will definitely watch it. Excellent. Okay. All right, number seventeen, Steve. Uh, this one, I don't, actually, I don't know what Eric's list is, so this might be on his list, <laughs> but I don't, I don't even know if it, Nick, you saw this. It's called The Artifice Girl, um, and it is a fantastic, maybe one of the best. Uh, and there's a lot of examples this year. A best example of a film that's about AI and the possible directions that AI could take it. But in this case, it's about a group of investigators that are finding a way to use it to capture child predators. Um, and it, and it features a fantastic supporting performance by Lance Henriksen. So yeah, um, yeah. and it's a, it's I I think it's yeah I think it's probably the best film on this subject that I saw this year and probably the most realistic. Um, and the, I, I don't remember her name, but the young actress that plays the AI girl in it is terrific. Um, but I, I think the whole thing is from a director named Franklin Rich, who I, is he also an actor in it? I can't remember. Yes. Um, yes. He plays yeah, the guy think, in the opening who yeah. designed like the, the actual inventor yeah. of the, right. Right. The, right. Yeah. Inventor of the technology. So yeah. Awesome, awesome little film. Um, terrific performance. Very, very, you know, just like a 
just a small group of characters, but man, I think it it packs a punch. So yes, yeah, it's great. And Lance is terrific in it. Lance is yeah, he absolutely is. It's a genuine performance. Absolutely, yeah. And Tatum Matthews is the name of the girl. Oh, there you go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There you go. Okay. All right, seventeen on my list is Sofia Coppola's Priscilla, which was such a lovely, lovely way of you know like completely forgetting that fucking Baz Luhrmann thing that came out last year. Uh, the c- complete antithesis of that, uh, based on the book Elvis and Me, that which was written by Priscilla Presley. Uh, Priscilla Presley, you know, was you know gave the okay to this. It got a it got a very very uh, 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 like uh, uh, the response was terrible for this movie, um, and it is a Sophia Coppola movie, so it's you know it's got a certain s- style to it that a lot of people don't like. Um, but I thought the performances were amazing uh, in it. The lead performance was unbelievable, like one of the best performances of the year. And, uh, you know, with the exception of Somewhere, that's the only one that I don't like that, uh, that she directed. I love Sofia Coppola's movies, and this is consistently in that great sensibility and style and voice that she has. I love her as a filmmaker, and I thought this movie was – I thought it was great. And, again, um, a great movie told from the point of view – um, of Priscilla and also a very, very questionable, like, what the fuck was this? What was going on? <laughs> what is this relationship? Um, I thought it was terrific. And, and yet another gem on the list of terrific movies that Sofia Coppola has made. So number 17 for me was Priscilla. You guys like Priscilla. My number yeah. 21. Number yeah. 21. Yeah. Just it's outside. In my top 25. Yeah. 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 Really. And she is just a, such a terrific director. And uh, yeah. Great performances all around. I can't wait to see the guy who played Elvis host SNL next week, which should be uh, pretty interesting. I don't know. I, I hope the ceilings are tall enough for the guy. Because that was another thing people were bitching about. He's too tall to play Elvis. Like, shut up. Just shut up. Okay. I think that actually made it made it seem made her seem younger. Oh, that was the point. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. That was the, it was clearly clearly it was done. <laughs> Everything yeah. that Sofia Coppola does, she does for a purpose and brilliantly. So. Yeah, seventeen for me I, is Priscilla. I just watched him in a in a movie that's opening this week. Uh, that's not as good. Ah. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> is okay. it called Saltburn? Anyway, yeah. no, um, no, he's in Saltburn no. too, which was a piece yes, of shit. Is. But okay, um, yeah. all right. Uh, six, 16. Let's go to sixteen. And uh, Eric, what is your number sixteen? Yes, number sixteen seems like every tenth movie that Nicolas Cage does these move these days turns out to be a good one. And Dream Scenario made my number sixteen. Uh, I think a really, really uh, funny film that uh, is really one of the few movies I think to deal kind of accurately uh, with the sort of the subject of cancel culture. Uh, you might not know that's kind of what it's about for about yeah. half of the movie, but it yeah, yeah. sneaks up on you. Um, I think Cage is really great in this movie, and uh, I, I think that where it goes uh, is, is really kind of fascinating. I thought about this movie a lot after I saw it in Toronto, and uh, it has stuck with me. So 16 is Dream Scenario. Okay. All right. Uh, yeah. Good film. Good film. All right. 16, Steve? I, I, will say, I will say this about Dream Scenario. It not only – I mean, the cancel culture thing is, is a little more on the surface, but I also really like the way – it depicted dreams and nightmares. Like, I think those are like actually kind of the way a lot of people experience those things. And I kind of like the way that that uh, filmmaker, uh, Christopher Borgley is uh, really kind of nailed that. (laughs) And I know he was Mm. trying to, but yeah, I I dug that part of the beginning part of it as well. Uh, My number 16 is Cord Jefferson's American fiction, uh, which features what might be the, the, best performance Jeffrey Wright's ever given. And, and he's one of those guys that's always good, even in the crap that some of the crap that he's been in. But, and I, I was particularly drawn in just by this, this cast. Uh, but, but Sterling K Brown is his brother is his gay brother 
who's kind of just discovering himself as all these things are unfolding um, is almost a second lead in this thing. And I think he's he's kind of amazing in it. And it's that he has nothing to do with like the main story uh, about this guy who writes like a, a book under a pseudonym that ends up to, to prove a point And he ends up becoming a bestseller because of it. Uh, I thought it was very funny, uh, but also sort of very insightful about the writer's mind. Um, yeah, I love this movie. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. Uh, that's uh, 16. 16 on my list is John Wick Chapter 4, um, which I think is the best uh, action movie. If, you, if there was a double feature, well, you'd be there all day, but if there was a double feature of John Wick <laughs> Chapter 4 and yeah. Mission Impossible, you'd be there for seven hours, but it would be worth every minute of it. Uh, Chad Stiletsky is the director of this, and these John Wick movies are terrific, and this one was like <laughs> uh, incredibly long, but it never... Uh, you know, it, it never eased up. In fact, it got crazier. That last 45 minutes in Paris, which is a recreation <laughs> of the war. And when it became a remake of the Warriors, I just lost my shit. I was like, okay, all the way down to the DJ, <laughs> you know, and playing Nowhere to Run. I was like, okay, you're going you're gonna to go for it. And that's, that's fantastic. Uh, incredible action sequences. The John Wick movies are great. Not so crazy about the little spinoffs, the little continental thing. And I don't know what's going on with the rest of that. But the four John Wick movies are, are, are pretty stellar. They're all great in their own way. This one, um, at second best, I think, of the series. But, um, but still incredible. One of the best action movies of the year. And I had an absolute blast. So my number 16 is yet another incredible chapter to the John Wick saga. Get ready um, for Ballerina next year. Yep, I know. Or this year. This year. It's this year, yeah. I'm not, I, just, yeah. I don't know. Um, you know so it's it's interesting directed by the Underworld I'm, hack, isn't it? Yeah, the under, yeah it is. Led uh, Wiseman. Yeah, oh, so I think it screwed. is. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, you know, like stuff like I mean that I mean that whole that whole I mean there are so many incredible set pieces in in Chapter Four and John Wick Chapter Four. Mm-hmm. But I'm not right now. The first one that's popping into my head is the whole stair sequence up the stair. Up the stairs. Yeah. I mean, Jesus Christ. I mean, there are like sequences in the movie. You go, how the hell? What? Like the entire time. It's they're they're amazing. So that's my number sixteen is John Wick Chapter Four. All right, cool. It's my number. My number twenty four. Yeah, it's 24? higher than higher than Mission Impossible. It's my highest yeah. action movie, I think. Well, yeah, it close. is. It, yeah. it is for me. It's it was it was just it yeah. just it got into the top twenty. It's the highest action movie uh, for me of the year, yeah. unless you unless you count Godzilla as an action movie. I don't yeah, know. I was, that was exactly uh-huh. what I was thinking. Yeah. But yeah. Uh, so <laughs> all right, all right. Let's go to fifteen. Number fifteen, Eric. What's your number fifteen best movie of the year? My number fifteen is another movie that got screwed, and I know Steve is, will back me up on this one, is a movie uh-huh. called The Integrity of Joseph Chambers, uh, which was written oh, and directed God. by uh, Robert Machoian, uh, who did a film a couple years ago called The Killing of Two Lovers that I was not a big fan of, but this story of Clayton Crawford trying to sort of prove his manhood on this solo mission to just go hunting one day, and just everything that goes wrong as a result of that, <laughs> I, I think just this this perfect, dark comedy thriller about just the, the male machismo gone amok uh and uh it has a great lead performance in it uh it just it's tension filled it is hilarious uh and uh nobody saw it it just it just kind of opened somewhere and went away and uh people need to find this movie called the integrity of joseph chambers okay all right that's 15 all right might, might uh, been that title too yeah um all right steve 15 uh, number 15, The Zone of Interest, uh, Jonathan Glazer's film about a the commandant of, uh, of Auschwitz who he and his family try to live a normal life of a happy family living right next, literally sharing a wall with Auschwitz. And it sounds dark and it is dark and it's a movie I don't know if I'll ever revisit, but man, did it pack a punch when I saw this thing. And it is the 
United Kingdom's Oscar contender. I think it's on the short list for inter best international film. Um, so yeah, it, it's uh, it comes out. Is it next week, Eric? Uh, yes, in, in the next, next week. Yeah, January. In Chicago. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Um, yes, next week. Okay. So anyway, I, I I mean I know I'm not the only one that liked this movie, but it, it's a, it's a tough watch sometimes, and it's about just living under circumstances that most normal human beings shouldn't live under. So okay. anyway, it's great. All right. Zone of interest. That's 15. My number 15 was mentioned already. Uh, Steve, you mentioned it. it's Todd Haynes, May, December, which was a movie that I thought was, uh, was terrific. Um, big fan of Todd Haynes. I don't think it's uh, quite as great as, uh, you know, like say for far from heaven or a couple of the other movies that he's made in the past, but I still think it's amazing. Uh, the two lead performances are great. And Charles Melton is the breakout, I think uh, supporting performance of the year. Um, you know, a great movie. It has that weird sensibility that Todd Haynes has, that kind of unapologetic soap opera quality that he likes to do. The music cues are a little off-putting to a lot of people. I thought they were great. And I thought mm -hmm. the performances all the way around were great. And I thought it was, uh, it was a great way to handle a story that had, and he, he's, he's good at this, that Todd Haynes is really good at, the kind of handling tabloid stories um, and turning them into something human and weird and a little bit offbeat. And, uh, and I love Todd Haynes, and I loved May, December. So May, December was my number 15. Okay. Moving up the list. Did you guys like May, December? You guys did, didn't you? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, Steve, did. Eric, did you, Eric, Eric, you didn't like oh. May, December? Oh, you may be hearing about it. Oh, okay. Okay. There we yeah. go. All right. There we go. Okay. Number 14. Yeah. Uh, let's, let's go on. And it's uh, Eric, number 14. <clears throat> Well, this number 14 I know is not going to be on either of your list, and I'm not going to get a lot of support for it, but uh, my peeps at the Chicago Critics Film Festival uh, seem to like it, and I revisited it I revisited it recently just to make sure I was not being crazy back when I loved this movie at Sundance. Theater Camp, uh, I, I still think, is one of the funniest movies of the year. Uh, I laughed again all the way through it, uh, and I think that the, and, and this is the one thing that I know Steve does back me up on, is that the last 15 minutes of this movie, when the show is, actually comes together i think that that moment is better than any of the musical moments we've had this entire year so theater camp uh again it's on hulu right now if you have not seen it it is really funny as uh, my mm. number 14 okay i like the stage manager stuff there you go <laughs> I no, the, the closing numbers go with, let's is, go with is magnificent yeah, yeah the yeah, closing stuff positive. is fantastic okay. all right uh 14 on your list Steve. uh my number 14 is a thousand and one uh from director a, a. look Rockwell. at this hold on hold on we uh -oh. have a we, we have a match oh boy <laughs> we have a match because number go. number 14 on my list is a thousand and one so go ahead yeah. steve <laughs> so yes, this is I and I and I I knew who Tayana Taylor was going into this, yeah. but mainly as a as a dancer, a right. choreographer, right. a little bit as a singer. I was not prepared for the performance she gives in this movie um, about a about a single mother who I, I she has one kid or two. Yeah. Kids, I forget no, no, now. Two, it's two. It's been a while. Two yeah. kids, right? Okay. Yeah. Who she's who she's just trying to basically keep out of the system and and she's she you know and she's sort of hiding from authorities and she finds a place to live and it's just kind of about their struggle to stay alive and there are a couple twists as the film goes on but man it's really just about this performance from her uh that just drives this thing and i, I now i can't wait to see what she does next but i i hope it's something this this uh just powerful and singular um but yeah and i i, I I know it got a lot of critical acclaim. I don't know if a lot of people went to see it when it came out, but yeah, a thousand and one is is terrific. I, 
And it's number 14 on my list too, Stephen. Yeah. And I agree with you. One of the other things that I loved about it, besides the, the central performance and besides it being a really powerful, but also the portrayal of New York at that time period, mm-hmm. um, because it covers, it covers New York during a specific time. It covers a lot of years, but the way they handle and kind of not handle 9-11, because it happens through, that yeah. happens during the course of the running time. Um, I think one of the greatest recreations of Brooklyn and, uh, and the Bronx in New York uh, during that time period, uh, you know, pay phones everywhere. I mean, this is a low-budget movie. Um, yeah. I mean, th- something should be said about the production design and the way this movie was shot to to make it seem so incredibly authentic for that very specific time period in New York. So technically, a pretty amazing movie is considering the budget as well. And then that central performance is great and everybody, and it's a powerful movie, and it's got some heartbreaking twists in it. Um, A.V. Rockwell is the writer-director. Um, mm-hmm. uh, an, incredible, an, incredible, an incredible movie. So, yeah, they, I'm with you on always- that. They always say that a, a period film, even if it's a recent period, just exponentially complicates the production. Yeah. Like this. So, yes, the fact that they kind of nailed that and over it's multiple periods because it is. We see yeah. these kids yeah. grow up over yeah. the course of the, yeah. the film. Uh, yeah, yeah it, it's it's kind of great. It's a it's a terrific film, a really, really yeah. terrific film. And again, an incredible central performance. So that's a thousand and one. That's number 14 on my list as well. So we have we have our first match. We have our first mm-hmm. like match. <laughs> OK. Uh, and we're moving on to 13. Um, Eric, what is your thoughts yes. on number 13? My number 13, it's not a match, but it has been mentioned already, and it is uh, Emma Seligman's Bottoms, uh, which, again, uh, you know, wherever, whatever you count as a comedy this year, this is absolutely one of the <laughs> best ones. Uh, I just loved the just the absurdist quality of just taking a kind of a what could have been just like a standard uh teenage sex comedy movie and twisting it up and weird choices and characters and i mean the football players wearing their pads to school (laughs) all the time i just love that uh and it is so so very funny uh bottoms if you've not seen this movie i mean the movie it's like 83 minutes it just it just goes by and it's not a moment in the movie you won't be laughing yeah it's true and it does get surreal because well they murder about 40 people at the end of the movie yes uh, (laughs) we murdered a lot of people yeah they murder a bunch of people at the end of the movie yeah Uh, (laughs) in very bloody fashion as well um no uh, uh, i mean yeah i mean incredibly funny movie that's a great movie so that's 13 for i believe i used the word massacre in my review yeah Yeah. no that's Uh, and it is it's an absolute massacre yes it is and then and then the goddamn pineapple juice comes shooting out and then it's all over at that point um number 13 for uh steve uh, Godzilla minus one. Yeah. Uh, this is this is uh, the unexpectedly human story in this monster movie. <laughs> uh, at the center of this monster movie, yeah, it's 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 a it's a Godzilla movie, but it's I believe in in the timeline of Godzilla, it's technically takes place the furthest back, and uh, or I think it's like a year before the original film. And it is, yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's but it's really focusing on this pilot, this kamikaze pilot, who can't bring himself to to die for a war that he knows is already over. And he has a lot of guilt about that. And he tries to take care of these survivors of the, uh, uh, well, I, I guess it's, they're just survivors of the war, but, um, and, and then, but Godzilla's there and there aren't a lot of scenes with Godzilla, but the ones that are there are fantastic. And um, yeah, but then, but all the while, this is a movie that this is a Godzilla movie that dares to have, human beings at the center of it and ones that we actually care about and a story that we actually like enjoy following. And I enjoyed the, that, that story about the pilot and the sort of the preparation on how they're going to stop Godzilla from, from invading this town. And, uh, 
Yeah, no, I mean, it's it's kind of the perfect package as far as as these kaiju movies go, monster movies go, whatever you want to wear, whatever category you want to throw it into. It's phenomenal. And and, and I'm, I, you'll hear it in a couple of seconds here, in a couple of minutes. But um, <laughs> I just the, you mentioned surprise. What, what, I mean, this was the biggest surprise of the year. This was at the end of the year. <laughs> And I was like, oh, there's a Godzilla movie coming out? Yeah, okay, all right, I'll go see it, because I love Godzilla. And, you know, and I thought that uh, Shin Godzilla was great, and, you know, it was, mm-hmm. uh, you know Godzilla, uh, Godzilla 2000 was re-released, you know, and, and I went to see that. And I love Godzilla movies. And I went in going, yeah, whatever. And then afterwards, I'm like, how the fuck? What? Like, it completely yeah. blindsided <sighs> me. Um, so, yeah, biggest surprise of the year, without question, in my opinion. Biggest surprise yeah. of the year. A little, a, a giant gift from, for Christmas at the end of the year was this Godzilla movie. So, anyway. And I will uh, say, uh, if you like old-school Godzilla movies, uh, the Music Box has an announcement coming yeah. out soon that's going to floor a lot of people. So <laughs> yeah. It's going to be pretty cool. All right. Yeah. Uh, so that's number 13. Number 13 on my list is Wonka. I don't give a shit. I loved it. Wow. I thought it was great. <laughs> oh, man. Um, I loved it. I love Paul King's style. I love, uh, you know, his sensibility. Um, he does, like, these... Great family movies that are also surprisingly sort of dark and uh, and also lovely and weird. <laughs> He's got a very strange sensibility. Um, I, I, you know, he, and again, you know, we talked about this on the last the last time we all talked because we were uh, reviewing the movies. And I am one. I am probably the only person on the planet who actively dislikes the Gene Wilder movie, even though I am fifty eight <laughs> and that's the one that I grew up watching. Um, I don't like the Gene Wilder movie. I much prefer the the, the Johnny Depp. Um, uh, Tim Tim Burton movie, which I know people think I'm crazy, and I loved this version. I happen to, it, you know, anybody who listens to this podcast or knows me knows how my, my how much I adore Timothy Chalamet. How I just think he is the man, and I think he's great in this. And I love the songs. I loved the 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 questionable taste and jokes in it. Um, uh, and we were talked about the last time how it doesn't build up to um, to kind of uh, uh, justify the dark behavior of the Willy Wonka that we know and his hatred of children and all that stuff. Uh, it doesn't really build up to that, but I, you know, I didn't think it needed to. Um, but I thought the songs were great and memorable. I thought it was beautifully directed. I thought it was really, really entertaining. I laughed my ass off during it. I thought it was uh, weird, weird, uh, uh, sweet, weird, and, uh, and funny. Um, and Chalamet to me is just, uh, he's, he's the man. And, uh, and I, I thought it was terrific. I just had a great time watching Wonka. Uh, and I sound like I'm defending the movie when I, <laughs> as I'm saying that, but I don't give a shit. I loved Wonka. I thought it was great. So that was my number 13. So, and you guys were what mixed on it? No, you, uh, no, no, I, I was mixed it. on it. You were mixed on it, but, yeah. but Steve, yeah. you liked it. Yeah. Steve, you liked I liked it. it, but I also, I also feel that the reason that it doesn't, end where everyone thought it was going to end is because i feel like they were holding out hope they could do another one another that might one. be that yeah. film yeah yeah okay and so. i hope they do i mean it's doing okay well, that seems okay. very possible now it yeah, did okay at the box office right I oh mean, it's, it's a hit, hit. oh yeah, it's yeah, a hit yeah. yeah good cool mm-hmm. cool okay so wonka number 13 on my list <laughs> apparently shocking <laughs> everyone involved uh <laughs> yeah okay all right uh, let's move up number 12 number 12 on the best list for eric childress uh, my number twelve is Ari Aster's "Bo Is Afraid," which I, I felt wow. at the time that I saw. Yeah, there you go. There's some shock. I like for you. the movie. I'm not. Uh, I'm not shocked. Yeah. Just, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. No. I just. I think that this is one of the best representations of what it's like to live with anxiety that I think I've ever seen, uh, and yet turn it into a horror story that you know is. I, I think Steve, you talked about it when we 
discussed it earlier about how you take the sort of the mundane horrors of everyday existence and turning it our greatest fears mm-hmm. and putting them on screen but it's also this combination of the way that letting anxiety live your life for you uh and you just watch your life pass you by as you're not able to take any chances you're just so afraid of everything uh and yeah it's it's three hours long it has the craziest sex scene of the year uh <laughs> even i think it drags a little bit in the middle but the overall power and filmmaking of it uh has stuck with me ever since i saw it so bo is afraid is my number 12 okay um that was my only experience at uh at the Alamo Draft House, <laughs> and it will be my own. It will be my only experience at that. Fire. I think if I you had not seen it there, Nick, you would have liked it more. I don't think so. I don't think so. <laughs> I don't think so. I, 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 I hope you. I hope you cut a check to Albert Brooks for that last uh, fifteen minutes. Well, I agree with that too. I know. Yeah. Okay. I know. Uh, <laughs> so Bo's hey, homage, Brian De Palma. They're great. I know. I know. Too, so, yeah, you know. I understand. I'm I understand. Sure John Wick I, Two rips off listen, the Warriors, and you're yeah, fine with that. I, but that totally yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> but it, 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 it totally acknowledges it. I mean, Ari Aster's running around. You know, whatever. But I will say this: I think the first. I think the first hour of Bo's Afraid is pretty fucking great. I will. That first hour, all the insanity that's happening outside his house yeah. and getting it, going to the store and coming back, all that shit. And then the road trip stuff starts to lose me. Um, but I do love the, the, the forest theater stuff. So I loved that. Mm. I loved that okay. stuff. And then by the end, I was done. And when the giant dick was in the attic, I was like, okay, I'm done with this. Uh, so, Wait, was it Patty Lapone? Was the mom? Well, no, yeah. Spectacular. Oh, yeah, yeah, okay. That's right. <laughs> She's amazing. Yeah. Patty Lapone, yes. Patty Lapone fucking rules in it. Yes, Patty Lapone is great in it. And so, yeah, she, comes, she shows up in the last part of the movie. Um, and by that point, I was kind of done with it, but at least she was in that part. So, listen, I didn't hate it as I, I didn't hate it as yeah. I mean, when I walked out, I was like, I thought about it. The more I thought about it, I was like, man, fuck this movie. And then, you know, but <laughs> but that first hour, I love the first. I, the first hour of Bo is Afraid is spectacular, and I think and I still think that Ari Aster is one of the most talented and interesting filmmakers working today. And I can't, okay. despite the fact that I think this is deeply flawed, I can't wait to see what the guy does next. So, right. Uh, okay, uh, that's okay. number uh, twelve. Um, Steve, what's your number twelve? Uh, my number 12, I don't want to say too much about it because I think it's still sort of floating around in some theaters, is Monster uh, by Koreeda Hirokazu. It's a Japanese filmmaker, very well known, has made some great movies, and this is kind of a return to form to him. He, it is. I don't think it's Japan. No, because Perfect Days is Japan's Oscar yeah. contender, right? Yeah, so, uh, which is weird because that's Vim Vendors. But anyway, it's this is... This is, yeah, I I don't, I guess I don't want to say too much about Monster. It's, it's a terrific character piece. Um, And uh, yeah, yeah, that's all I'm going to say about it. It's still, I think it's still sort of floating around in some markets right now. And I highly, highly recommend it. Okay. All right, Monster. All right. Um, My number uh, 12 is, um, I think the best, uh, I guess it's the best horror movie of the year. I'm looking at my list here. Best horror movie of the year. Uh, When Evil Lurks is number uh, 12 on my list. Uh, I don't even, <laughs> it's, uh, it, it is, there's so much shit going on in this movie. It's a small rural town that they discover that there's like a demon, uh, uh, uh possessed a, a big, large fat man who's possessed and it's, uh, and, uh, you know, and it's, and it's about this, this infection that goes through these bodies and it's a road uh, movie with about these two. Uh, brothers and then, uh, dealing with his ex-wife and the new ki- and the kids and the, and uh, everything. Um, it's a hard movie to describe. I don't want to get into it, but it is without question, I think, uh, the most original horror movie of the year and a movie that really gets deeply disturbing, uh, on a lot of levels. And, and, um, and it's not just a simplistic, 
gore horror movie, although it is that. It's got a lot of that. And it's not just your average sort of disease, you know, uh, virus kind of a movie. And it is that. And I guess you can say it's kind of a zombie thing. But the shit that happens in this movie, there were moments in this movie, and I, you know, and people know that I'm not, um, you know, I'm, I'm not, Im- you know, that I've, I've grown immune to a lot of stuff in horror movies. But there was stuff in this movie where I just went, oh, my God. <laughs> like, I couldn't, I just was like, I can't believe what I'm watching. And uh, also, it was really interesting that one of the central characters in the film um, has autism. And the way that that's handled within the mythology that they create in this horror film is really fascinating and utterly original, which is the case of the entire movie. Um, best horror film of the year, as far as I'm concerned, and uh, one of the best of the year. So number 12 for I'm me. I'm not sure that's true for you, Nick. I thought there was something yeah. else higher. Uh, oh, yeah. No, now I'm looking at it. Yeah, much higher. Sorry. Yeah, you're right. So it's a, it's the second best horror movie of the year. Yeah, you're right. But anyway, but, but this is an extraordinary movie. When Evil when it is Evil also Lurks. It is also my second best horror movie of the year. It ranked yeah. right between John oh. Wick 4 and Rye Lane. So, yeah, it's... Yeah. it's, a deep, oh. it's it's also and, a, it's also a deeply fucked up movie. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it reminds and, and me and why I'm never gonna own a dog. Yeah. yeah. Oh boy. Oh. <laughs> and that's actually my love. The first forty five minutes, and it kind of lost me. Movie. Okay. So All right. we, we All right. share that in common. There you go. Number anyway. twelve. When evil. When evil lurks. Okay. Cool. Number eleven. Before we get to the top ten, we got one more. Number eleven. Yes, my number eleven is Justine Trant's Anatomy of a Fall. Uh, again, a just a, a, a courtroom story, a chamber piece that uh, I think is just incredibly claustrophobic, uh, and it's more than just a potential murder mystery and uh, and whatnot. But it's this this family story again. I think another really great movie about marriage and uh, mental illness uh, and depression. Uh, and uh, Sandra Huller, I think there are just scenes in this movie where in the courtroom just listening to the dialogue and cameras just right up on people's faces and what they're having to say, I, I think it just absorbed me uh, from beginning to end and really just made me unsettled for a good portion of it. So Anatomy of a Fall, just missing my top 10 at number 11. I had some issues with that. I know I'm the only one, but I had some issues with that movie. Um there's something that happens during one of the courtroom scenes that bothered the shit out of me, and I couldn't shake it. Um, yeah. yeah, I just thought I thought there was a I thought there was a storytelling cheat in the movie, and it bothered the shit out of me. So, um, but everybody else loved it. So, what, what the hell do I know? Um, <laughs> we, so, we'll be hearing it again later. So. I, I did, no, I know, I know, <laughs> okay. and that's why I brought this up. That's why I brought it up because I just was not. I mean, I thought it was I thought it was good. I thought it was solid, and I thought the performances were good. But that moment in the courtroom where I thought there was a cheat, and at, at that point, I was like, "Fuck this movie!" for a while. And um, and then I, I mean, obviously, you know, it's a, it's a pretty compelling film, but I just did. There was that single moment that just bothered me so much I couldn't shake it for the entire rest of the movie. So anyway, all right. Well, we'll hear about it again. Everybody loves that movie except me. All right. So um, all right, that's Anatomy of a Fall. We'll hear about it again uh, soon. All right, uh, Steve, number eleven. Uh, yeah, this is this is a film that I have, have a weird history with. Actually, uh, the Teachers Lounge. Uh, this is Germany's uh, Oscar contender this year. Um, music box films tried to buy it <laughs> and was outbid at one point. We tried to, I think we tried to book it, right, Eric? Am I at the festival? We, yes. At the festival. We tried to get it and then we didn't get it. And then, but it is opening at the music box on January 19th. And it is a, it's, it's one of the most tense films I've seen all year. Uh, it's literally about like the teacher experience in, in Germany, which isn't that different than the teacher experience in the United States, apparently. Uh, and it, yeah, it's just about like what these teachers go through. There's like a theft in the teacher's lounge and 
the investigation goes so far astray from like what they're actually investigating, which is just like who stole something uh, that it, it, it ignites like the students and ignites like a particular student in this one teacher's class. Um, it, it, it just it just builds and builds and shows you how like you can make as a teacher, you can make one little mistake and it destroys or it can destroy has a potential to destroy multiple lives as as a, something that's not even really a mistake it's just like a judgment decision and man this movie had me on edge and i was not expecting that from what i thought was going to be like a straightforward drama but uh yeah absolutely just outside my top 10 but still yeah. fantastic film in my in my top 40 uh, i liked it i liked it a lot yeah. i saw it at the at the chicago uh, international mm-hmm. uh, film mm. festival and um <clears throat> and i liked it i liked it very much it just didn't make my it didn't make the cut on my in my top 20 but there you go okay uh, my number 11 was mentioned already, Godzilla minus one. Um, as I mentioned, the biggest surprise of the year. I didn't expect anything this significant. One of the best Godzilla movies ever made, ever made, like going all the way back. And um, I love Godzilla and the kaiju movies as much as anybody does, and even the stupid ones and the silly ones and the ridiculous ones and all that stuff. But this one uh, is really uh, moving. It's, it's, it's beautiful. Um, it's human. Uh, it tells a great allegorical story. Um, about war and about, uh, you know, uh, living when, you know, everyone expects you to die. Um, and uh, Takashi Yamazaki directed it. It was a special effects guy, worked on some other stuff as well, um, and has directed only a couple of other films. And this is one of the best of the year. And, the, and, and on top of that, it's just a kick-ass Godzilla movie. The, the Godzilla yeah. stuff just fucking rules. Um, so great, great, great movie. I, I loved it. And, and, and again, biggest surprise of the year. Um, and, uh, and again, proving to be kind of a, uh, it turned out to be a sensation. Like they thought, now nah, we're going to drop it into a couple of theaters, but this thing, I mean, Eric, the, the box office for this thing, like worldwide has been pretty huge, right? Solid. Um, yeah. uh, I think, I think it's doing just as well domestically as it is overseas. And yeah. I think it's, I have to look at the, my list, but it's definitely one of the highest grossing non-English language films that have right. ever been released here in the U S right, right, right. Right. Wow! Wow! It's, it's two in a row. Twelve and eleven were both not English language films for me. Uh, when, <laughs> yeah. evil, when evil lurks in Godzilla minus one. So that's number eleven. All right. Uh, so Godzilla minus one. Uh, if you haven't seen it, you should. If you're a Godzilla fan, what the hell is wrong with you? You should have seen it at least three <laughs> times by this point. So anyway. All right. We are into the top ten now. We are going to jump into the ten best movies of 2023, according to Eric, Steve, and Nick. Here are our top tens. Number ten, Eric Childress. Uh, my number ten, uh, you know, sometimes simplicity uh, wins out the day, and this is was based on a play, uh, and it's a story that I've followed for a couple of years now, and it made its debut on Max uh, over the summer, I think. Uh, it's a film called Reality, uh, and it stars Sydney Sweeney as Reality Winner, who people may remember was uh, arrested for stealing a or not stealing but removing a document a classified document from her government position that had to do with the election interference that was going on and this movie uh, 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 portrays the day and the moment and the hours of when the FBI showed up at her home and interrogated her and ultimately arrested her uh, and again it's all basically set in one one place her house um you know people who are off this anyone but you nonsense is in theaters right now should go look at this movie because i think sydney sweeney gives a performance in this movie that i think is one of the best of the year uh it's incredibly tense uh i think josh hamilton is really good as one of the fbi agents in this movie really strong work uh and yeah this is a movie that 
it had me on edge and it made me angry and it just like i've seen a lot of the story in, in documentary form and this was in you know adapted from play really tense really beautifully put together reality is my number 10 yeah terrific uh, performance uh um by uh sydney sweeney uh and i think a lot of people are were surprised i was i was surprised at how good she i was, was too um so yeah, really good stuff. Okay, that's uh, number ten is reality. Um, Steve, your number ten. When you said it, your number ten was based on a play, Eric, I thought you were going to say Dick's the Musical. I'm sorry. I'm <laughs> no. Confused. Anyway. No, that's another uh, list that's coming up. <laughs> um, my number ten. My number ten is Celine Song's Past Lives. Um, first time filmmaker, mostly known as a playwright. She kind of just made this. Uh, Right, they sort of wrote it during the pandemic, and I kind of got it made. A twenty four fell in love with it, and it's basically a, a three person story, but it's really about these two characters that the, the sort of childhood sweethearts that grew up in in South Korea, right? And yeah, um, and they and they kind of reconnect as young adults, and then reconnect again as adults, and their lives have changed during that course, but they keep coming back together, and she's gotten married, and very happily and and Greta Lee plays Nora and uh, Tao Yu is fantastic as Hai Sung this childhood sweetheart and it's just about that sort of frustrating near misses in your lives that I'm sure a lot of people have had with with other people and um and I, I'm guessing that you will identify with one of the three characters just kind of depending on what you bring in what baggage you bring into the film but it's a it's a really delicate I think inspiring and 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 desperately beautiful and moving experience. So okay. yeah, that's past lives. Right. I'm assuming we're going to hear about that, and it's not you're not going to hear about it from me, but I'm assuming you're going to hear about it uh, a little bit later when Eric. Uh, it's possible. His, yeah, I think it's very possible. <laughs> uh, so yeah, I mean, I I liked it, but I didn't like it nearly as much as everybody else did. Um, so, but yeah, past lives. Uh, saw it at uh, where the hell you guys showed it right at your yeah uh, our yeah, festival. Right. That's right. And the director was there, if I remember correctly. Yeah, yes, he was there. Right. Cool. Okay, so that's past lives number ten. Uh, my, number 10 on my list, I know we're going to hear about uh, as we go on, so I'll be brief. Uh, Martin Scorsese's Killers of the Flower Moon, number 10 um, on my list. Um, 80, what is he, 80, 81? 81. 81. Scorsese? And he's making movies, yep. uh, making movies like he's 30. Um, everybody talks about the length of the movie. I don't give a shit how long it was because I was compelled through the entire running time. Three hours and 40 minutes, and it felt like it was an hour and a half. Um, and I've, I've sat through shorter movies that felt longer. Um, the, mm. All the performances were great. Um, uh, you know, it's a it's a dark and horrifying uh, uh, period in American history that we should all be ashamed of. And uh, and Scorsese takes it on beautifully. Uh, Lily Gladstone is amazing. DiCaprio is great. Uh, De Niro supporting performance is terrific. All the other performances in it um, and um, uh, the indigenous uh, people who are in the film who are not actors, given a lot of uh, free reign by Scorsese. Uh, to do their thing. Um, everything about this movie from top to bottom, the cinematography, Robbie Robertson's incredible last score, um, the costume design, uh, production design, everything about it, the urgency with which this story is told. Um, it's one of the best movies that, that uh, Scorsese has done in, uh, in many. I liked it more than The Irishman. Um, I think it's his best movie probably since Hugo, I think. Um, mm. And I think Hugo's his best movie since Goodfellas. So I think this is his second best movie Ooh. since Goodfellas. <laughs> Um, so, uh, yeah. And I, and I just think, I think it's a, it's a great film and I, I have a feeling we'll, we'll hear about it again coming up, uh, soon, but Killers of the Flower Moon, Scorsese's latest is number 10 on my list. Okay. Um, but I'm assuming we're going to hear about it again. So 
Uh, maybe I'm wrong. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. All right. Uh, Eric, what's your number nine? My number nine has been mentioned uh, at least once, I think, uh, or maybe it was bought by both of you. Uh, John Wick Chapter Four. Uh, yeah. yeah, it was on both of your lists, right? Um, I mean, this. I mean, please. I mean, you want to talk about an action series that has just progressively gotten better, and how rare that feat is. We talked about Mission Impossible. We can certainly talk about about the Mad Max series. Yeah. Uh, I mean, that's pretty rare company. To, to be in and you know we could talk about the action scenes all day and you know i think uh, keanu reeves has as many lines of dialogue as mel gibson has in the road warrior <laughs> I mean, yeah. it's just uh but this movie is incredibly well shot too the cinematography in this movie watching it a second time is just stunning to behold i mean this is a real movie this is just beautifully constructed the action scenes are incredible when Keanu Reeves is just blowing people up, literally blowing people yeah. up with a, with yeah. a gun. I'm yeah. just like, okay, this is just fantastic. Yeah. Uh, John Wick Chapter 4, yeah, none of the other movies quite made my top 10. Uh, I think one of uh, the last one might have made my top 25, but this one earns a spot in my number 9. Yeah, great movie, man. Great stuff. Okay, yeah. number 9 on your top 10 list, uh, Steve. Uh, it's Andrew Hayes' All of Us Strangers. Uh, which opens this week in Chicago, uh, including at the Music Box, and it's it's a, again, just a small, almost kind of like past lives, just a couple of characters really, um, it, two of whom are live in this apartment complex and are falling in love, played by Andrew Scott and Paul Meskel, um, and it and it and this relationship kind of punctures the rhythm of Andrew Scott's kind of everyday life, and then. As that relationship is developing, Adam is kind of, or the Andrew Scott character is kind of preoccupied with these memories of the past, which sort of show themselves when he goes back to his childhood home where his parents still live, except they look like they did when they died 30 years ago. So we kind of think that's just something he's seeing in his head, and then we find out later it's a little more than that. Um, but as, as a melancholy love story, I think there were very few equals in, in this past year. And as a story of someone kind of clinging to the comforts of the past, I think it's exquisite and heartbreaking and very satisfying. Uh, and that's my number nine. Yeah. Uh, I had issues with the fact that none of it really happened. <laughs> I just watched it and I'm like, okay, this guy's just kind of thinking about stuff that didn't really happen so i just couldn't invest myself emotionally in it but mm. performances I'm not were sure great. that's true but uh, okay yeah. is there but no but there are, <laughs> there are sections of it that just are him talking to someone that's not there and there's a lot yeah. of stuff that's happening in his head and i was like that's i i could not connect emotionally to it although mm. the the all the performances are strong they're all i mean all the performances are are, are terrific in it and uh, but i just had an issue with What's going on in the guy's brain? I don't care. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. What's wrong uh, with you? I don't know, man. I just, wow. I, you know, I'm mean, not look, you, the guy. Yeah, no, 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 no. <laughs> right. But I was just like, ah, this stuff's not, this is not really happening. I, okay, I, uh, okay. Um, all right, we all have to like connect somehow with our past, but man, I don't know. I was just I had issues with it, but again, technically really well made and beautifully acted. I, I, uh, but it's, uh. it was just, it just didn't work for me. So, okay. And uh, Eric, I don't know if we're going to hear about that one from you, but maybe a little bit later on. I we are not. No. No. Okay. All right. No. All right. Well, let's move on then. Number eight yes. <laughs> on the best list. Number eight. Yeah. Uh, well, that one we might not hear again. We might hear about this one again. It is Alexander Payne's The Holdovers. 
uh, just, I mean, this guy, you know, downsizing was. I'm the sorry. Last movie. How that do you was... think? How do you think we're not going to hear that again? Uh, <laughs> I, 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 I don't think. I, I know. Oh. I'm just. Oh, okay. I, all right. I okay. All right. I was going to oh, say, yeah. what the fuck are you talking? Oh no 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 no. <laughs> all right. Okay. No, I got a, I got a cold, but I'm not sick. All right. Okay. Uh, all right. You know. Okay. So. I was like, wait a minute. How does how does he no. think that we're not going to talk about this movie again? No. Right. I no. I I guarantee it's probably going to come right. up on at least okay. one of your lists. Okay. Yeah. Uh, but no. I can just stop right now because it's going to come up again but but alexander pays the holdovers like i said downsizing was sort of a major disappointment uh the only sort of black mark i think on his entire career uh, i don't uh, know about that but... I, you you like it right <laughs> i do you like very it? much yeah okay that's that's fine uh, i don't but you know that one little glitch on his resume and he's back to doing what he does so well and uh i mean this is you know i mean this is like the fourth best movie he's made i mean that's saying something right there uh and i mean paul giamatti is just fantastic in this it's again a, a simple story a kind of story we've been told many times before teacher student relationship road trip like all of these staples that we've seen in cinema so many times and cliches and whatnot and yet it all feels real because the characters feel so real and their emotions and again it's it's incredibly funny it's very moving they're just small moments in this movie alexander payne has some way of just tapping into some little inner thing that i got going in me uh, and the holdovers just works in spades, and watching it a second time uh, just it repeated the experience. So number eight yeah. is the holdovers. Okay, uh, we'll hear about that one again. Uh, <laughs> <sure>. <laughs> okay, uh, Steve, number eight on your list. I'll repeat. I'll say to Eric. Uh, I'll repeat the statement like Eric does. I don't know if we're going to hear about this one again, <laughs> but my number eight is Birth Rebirth <laughs> by what? Laura Moss. Uh, <laughs> no, um, yeah, this this I literally have had this at the where I whereas I was never quite sure until the very end what my number one was going to be this was always my favorite horror film of the year since I saw it at Sundance a year ago uh it's by director and co-writer Laura Moss it's it's I think the smartest piece of science fiction slash horror that I have seen uh in a very long time mixing bits of like Frankenstein and reanimator but with in a very interesting and heartfelt way um, and yeah, it's it's about a nurse uh, played by Judy Reyes and uh, her, she's kind of built her entire life around this six year old daughter. Uh, and then there's this, um, I guess she's a researcher, a medical researcher played by the great mayor in Ireland. Uh, who had a great who, like, year, she, a great oh, year, yeah, by the way, very good her. year yeah. for her. Yeah. Um, and they kind of have to form a partnership in order to keep this daughter alive or if, if she is indeed alive. Um and it's a it's a fascinating, really chilling, very complicated story that deals with morality and parental mourning and and a contemporary understanding of what would make someone like kind of look past their own beliefs and boundaries. And it really, I think, pushes the envelope in that way. And I like I said, it's one of the smartest horror films I've seen in a very long time. So easily in my top ten. Yeah. Yeah, we're going to hear about that one in a little bit. So, Are you sure? Are you sure? Uh, okay. I think so. I'm, I, I think so. I'm not sure, but okay. Uh, number eight on my list. is that, No, number nine, right? Eight. 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 What the hell? Eight. Did we yes. just, wait, oh, wait a minute. Are we at eight? Yeah. We're, I did John Wick at nine. Right. Oh, so now, wait, wait a minute. Strangers. Did wait a minute. Did, how did I miss? Nine? I missed. I, I jumped ahead. Didn't I jump? What did I miss? 
So I should be at, I'm at nine. What the hell? Oh, maybe did you, I, did you I not do, I didn't yourself. do my, I, sk I skipped myself. <laughs> so you get to do oh, nine right. and eight. Okay, I'll get to do nine and eight. Okay, let's go back. I skipped myself. Yeah. Okay, I was just so, I, I guess hey. because we were talking, oh no, I know what it was. We got distracted because I was uh, talking about how all of us strangers was in his head and then everybody was like, well, you're an asshole. So that's how, that's what <laughs> <laughs> all right. Um, all right. So I forgot. So I got two of them here. I'll get to do two. Now, remember right. my number nine, my number nine is blue jean, uh, which I think ah. is mm -hmm. um, an incredibly uh, effective movie um, directed by Georgia Oakley, featuring what I think is one of the best performances of the year uh, uh, by Rosie McEwen. And blue jean is about a, uh, a lesbian uh, gym teacher in a high school in England during the Thatcher era, where it wasn't uh, really easy to be out or to be considered, uh, you know, gay in any possible way. And she is closeted and uh, keeps that identity uh, a secret, although she's a very uh, loved and successful gym teacher who has a, a, a lovely girlfriend and has a, a wonderful life um, in the alternative uh, style that she's accustomed to, keeping it under wraps because of the political climate and where she is in the 80s in England. Well, a girl shows up at the school who will say happens to be gay and sees her in a club, and uh, the idea of her being outed and losing her job and having to deal with the consequences of that time period being a gay woman in a, in a school as a gym teacher is what this film is about. Um, extraordinarily well acted, beautifully uh, made, um, a simple story, a timely story, a political story of that time. Uh, and and the, center, the center performance by Rosie McEwen is one of the very, very best of the year. Um, saw it at uh, you guys at the, at the film festival. Mm -hmm. Um, and it was one of my favorites of uh, of all the ones that I saw during the fest. Uh, I think it was my third favorite of uh, of the th of the of the all the films that I saw at the festival this year at the Chicago Critics Film Festival. Uh, it's called Blue Jean. Uh, again, didn't get the exposure that it deserved. It got a very limited run. It played at the Film Center for a little while. Uh, more people deserve to see this movie. I don't know if, where or if it's streaming, but it's called Blue Jean. Um, and again, the central performance by Rosie McEwen is amazing. It is a terrific, terrific movie uh, that got. No attention whatsoever. So, all right. Now, number eight, uh, another movie that didn't get a lot of it <laughs> didn't get a lot of attention, which was also kind of simple, is called Of an Age. Um, um, of an Age is directed by uh, one of the most uh, I don't know what, what's the, what's the word I'm looking for uh, varied uh, directors of all time. Uh, Goran Stavlesky, um, who directed um, You You Won't Be Alone and uh, and, and, and other films that are completely different. Like each movie this guy makes is a completely different style. Uh, he can do comedy. He can do horror. He can do Terrence Malick kind of stuff. Of an Age is this very simple story about um, a, uh, a sort of a, a, a professional competing ballroom dancer who has to go pick up his uh, sort of drunk, hungover partner uh, to go compete in a dance competition. And he gets a ride from uh, the brother of, this, uh, of, the, of the drunken girl. And uh, during this long road trip, these two guys, um, you know, one's younger and one's a little bit older, uh, develop this sort of friendship that turns into a possible romantic thing. And it is uh, absolutely beautiful and absolutely heartbreaking. And I cried my eyes out. And I thought the central relationship between these two um, was heartbreaking. And to me, the kind of stuff that Past Lives does, this movie does better, especially in the final third. Um, the last part of the movie... Um, that, which I won't give it away, but the last part of the movie deals with the same kind of things that Past Lives deals with, but to me, it had a much more profound effect on me. So sort of the same theme that Past Lives deals with, it deals with in a different way, but it's also a great road movie with three great central performances, and um, uh, 
the chemistry between the two leads is uh, is amazing, and the movie turns out to be beautiful and heartbreaking and devastating on several levels. And uh, this director, uh, this Goran Stavlesky, has turned out to be uh, such an incredible, uh, incredibly talented uh, director of different types of movies. So my number eight is Of an Age. Did you guys see? You, you guys saw that, right? I did. Yep, yeah. I like it. I completely yeah. forgot about it until I saw it on your list. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So that was one of my favorites of the year. So number eight. Okay. Let's move on. I, I did two in a row. I didn't mean to. I just f- forgot to say Blue Jean, and I love Blue Jean. I love that movie. Okay, so we're moving up to number seven. Number seven on the best list for Eric Childress. Uh, my number seven is Todd Haynes' May December, uh, ah, which after I, after I had seen it, I was just like, ah, that's 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 pretty solid, and then spent like the next seventy two ninety six hours thinking <laughs> yeah. about it, yeah. uh, and it just it's and it just oh, so much of it came together uh, in that process, and you know thinking about. The complexities of the two women and the the various uh, you know who is the villain you know, is anyone really not guilty in this entire story? Uh, it just it's so much of it about the way that we as outsiders view situations like this, and then getting sort of an insider view of how these characters got to these positions and how they're exploited by Hollywood and and, and stories like that. Uh, and I just I, I still haven't stopped thinking about it and that's one of the reasons we go to the movies and yeah. if a movie can do that for this this long it must be one of the year's best movies so may december ranks number seventh on my list yeah great movie and that's that's the first one that has ended up on all three of our lists right that's right yeah okay there you go on all three of our lists very good i think i think right, all right. <laughs> yeah, yeah all right number seven uh for steve uh your best of uh, it's Killers of the Flower Moon, Scorsese. Yeah, it's and I will say we, we you talked about the 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 story the story of the rash of deaths. Yeah. That, what's weird is that that leads into a whole secondary story, basically about the birth of the FBI, which is right. It's so like it like deep into the film, Jesse Plemons comes in with you know Pat Healy as a sidekick, which was very exciting. Yeah, I didn't know Pat he was Healy, in this. Yeah. That's right. Um, and yeah, like and it's just, it's like it's just about like. But the overall, like the film is just about like the worst kind of betrayal. And it's like on an epic scale. And I think that's when it sort of hits hardest emotionally, uh, because in a lot of ways we're and it's weird because we're rooting for this couple in a lot of ways. And we know we shouldn't be uh, or we feel yeah. like we shouldn't be. But yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and I mean, I, and like you said, we're fortunate to live in a world where Scorsese is still making movies that matter, films of scale and vision and clarity and. And emotional depth. There's so much emotion in this film, and there's there nothing is. like them except other films by Scorsese, basically. Yeah, so, yeah. Uh, and and this is a quintessentially American story, and you can smell the blood and the gunpowder. So yeah, it's it's an ugly truth spread across the screen, and it, yeah, it's terrific. And also, uh, without giving it away, the last ten minutes are unbelievable. Sure. Uh, that you know, <laughs> sure. that that whole sequence in the last ten minutes is just like holy shit. I mean, you want to talk about a capper on the end of a movie? Yeah. Uh, incredible. So, okay, so that's uh, Killers of Flower number seven. Now, number seven um, is one that I, I I think might be mentioned by Steve, but I definitely know will not be mentioned by Eric until we get to oh. I think a different list. Uh, number huh. seven for for me, uh, best movie, of the uh, seventh best movie of the year is The Iron Claw, which is the story of the mm, um, no. the Von Erichs, the 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 family of professional wrestlers in real life. And by the way, Eric, I have been I've been told that I was wrong, that okay. in fact Chris Chris was uh, his actual their actual son. Um, and the guy that I was speaking of was not, 
Uh, and okay. uh, so, so in fact, he was their son. Chris was their son, and they did not cover that story uh, in the movie. Um, but yes. cr- I was confusing him with another guy that they brought in to, to be Yvonne Eric. But in fact, mm. Chris, who was never focused on in any capacity um, in, in the careers, like he was never featured as a wrestler, he was never in, you know, he was never part of the Von Erics in that regard, and that's why they cut him out. That's why they didn't tell his story in the movie, because they were concentrating on what wrestling did to this family. Um, but I, and I do have to, I do have to correct. I do have to say that I've been corrected. In fact, by, by wrestling fans who were like, dude, what the fuck is wrong with you? He, Chris was really their son. <laughs> and you were thinking of the other guy that, by the way, a professional wrestler named MJF plays in the movie, uh, very briefly, uh, mm. in the film. But anyway, and I know that, and I just wanted to make sure because I was correcting you over and over again the last time we spoke. And I wanted to make sure that, no, I wanted to make sure that you were, yeah. that, you, that you were right, Eric. So, so okay. I wanted to say that, I wanted to say that here on the podcast. So, well, um, thank you. Yeah, so I wanted to make sure that that got out there. Now, you're wrong about the fucking movie because it rules. Anyway, ah. uh, <laughs> so uh, Iron Claw's Sean Durkin's movie about the real-life uh, family of professional wrestlers, the Von Erichs, that tragedy in, in, in the world happened to them. Uh, all of these uh, brothers in this family have died except for one. Kevin's the only one who's left, and they died under horrible and heartbreaking circumstances, and... Uh, um, and they, this, there's, there was the Von Erich curse, and it's a great film about a fucked up family that's led by a patriarch who uh, did horrible things uh, to their to their kids, uh, to his kids, and about the wrestling industry itself. Um, as a fan of the Von Erichs, as a longtime fan of uh, pro wrestling, I thought they did a remarkable job bringing this tragic story to life, and I thought everybody in it was was absolutely terrific, um, and I was moved by it to the point of of tears. Um, I think it's compelling, and I also think that it is, like a lot of movies that get made about wrestling, you're inevitably going to tell a story of sadness and tragedy and heartbreak, and that's what this is. It's not the happiest movie of the year, but it is beautifully put together. It's well told. Um, It has a sequence in it that is as beautiful and sad and as moving a sequence as I've seen in a movie all year. Um, And again, if you're a fan of wrestling, you'll love it. If you're a fan of the Von Erichs, they 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 did a great job with it. Um, not a happy movie, but a beautifully made one and heartbreaking. So number seven on my list is uh, The Iron Claw. So there you go. It made, it made my high, or, well, 33. It was 33 for me. Okay. Yeah, so. All right, cool. Okay. It's, it's up there. All right. Uh, anyway, I wanted to, cor- I, but I did want to correct me, uh, you know, uh, uh, Eric, uh, in giving you the, yeah. giving you some, some totally shit cool. about that because you were absolutely correct. So, <laughs> all right. All right. And we're moving on. Number six on the best list for Eric Childress is. Okay. My number six is probably the biggest surprise i would never have thought that this movie would have ever made a a list like this Mm -hmm. uh i don't have the same connection to this story that a lot of people do over the years uh your uh, present company included but godzilla minus one was (laughs) the the biggest joyful one of the joyful experiences i had all year i didn't even see it in a movie theater i saw it at home on my television uh, with a screening link advanced, you know, to the movie, yeah. and I, was just, I, I like you, Nick. I'm just like, okay, Godzilla movie. This might yeah. be fun. Yeah, yeah. And I, I, you know, and I'm sitting here comparing it to the works of Spielberg and Zemeckis yeah. and like yeah, all my yeah. favorites when I was growing up. And yeah. I mean, and here's proof. Here is absolute proof that you can do a movie of this size with a, you know a, a kaiju movie or just a monster movie and have actual humanity. Yeah. in it where it's yeah. not just like oh the, the godzilla stuff is great the stuff in between not so great the stuff in between 
is great. Yeah. It is like you could take <laughs> the Godzilla movie out and you still have probably have a pretty great movie. Yeah. I love the whole sequence where they're they're all gathering around and and sh- here's our plan. Here's how we're gonna take down Godzilla. I'm like, what are you talking about? Yeah. Uh, I love all of that stuff. The 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 supporting team around him. I mean, it's like watching Jaws for Christ. Well, sake. I was just gonna say, Eric. And, I was just gonna say that because I know how much yeah. you love. But I was gonna say there's a section in the movie where it turns into Jaws. There's a yes! section where it yes! is Jaws. Yeah, it is. Right. And I'm more prone to go like, oh, they're just copying Jaws. But no, I'm no. just like, no, they're doing Jaws. Absolutely. At this yeah. point. Yeah. And it is, and the best special effects of the year, yeah. uh, unbelievable. And what, for like a $15 million budget, this movie puts so much Hollywood shit yep. to shame yep. this year. And it deserves a spot on my list. I can't believe it's on my top 10 list and not on yours, <laughs> Nick. I, I'm shocked <laughs> by that. But Godzilla Minus One is my number six. Wow, that's great, man. Okay, so Godzilla Minus One is another one on all three of our lists. That's uh, yeah. that's pretty great. Okay, uh, on to number six for Steve Procopi. What's your number six, Steve? Basically the same movie. is My number six is Are You There, God? It's me, Margaret. Um, yeah. So, and again, but although similar to what Eric said, I don't have, I mean, I don't have any connection to any book by Judy Bloom, And this is obviously the one for the ages novel that, Every every woman I know has read. Uh, I love that they kept it in the seventies. I loved. I just completely fell in love with Margaret Simon, uh, played by Abby Ryder Forston, and yeah. her parents, played by Rachel McAdams and Benny Safdie, who also had a hell of a year. Um, he did, yeah. If you're if and, also if you're yeah. counting if you're counting the curse. <laughs> yeah, yeah, sure. Oh. And then and like and and they they this kind of move that they make from New York to suburban New Jersey and. It's it's about transformation into adolescence. It's about emerging questions of faith and like taken seriously, even in a movie kind of geared toward younger people. I mean, Kelly Freeman Craig, the director, yeah, did The Edge of Seventeen, which was one of my favorite movies from that year. And this yep. is another kind of note perfect exploration into the minds of young people. And um, and it, yeah, I mean, and it's this is there's a, I mean, the the amount of investment I spent on margaret's first period it can cannot be overstated i don't think it's a it's a damn near perfect movie in my estimation and it came out earlier in the year and this stuck this stuck with me so yeah yeah well you're gonna hear you're gonna hear a little bit more about (laughs) Uh, my number six is a movie that i i am so disappointed that didn't do better that nobody really saw i think it's absolutely one of the most entertaining and well-made and efficiently made movies of the year and that's dumb money um which i (laughs) absolutely love this movie and i've seen it four times and it gets better and more potent every time i see it um it's about the you know the stock uh uh, scandal that happened with gamestop and how the little guys took down the big guys and the hedge funds and um i guess the movie failed because nobody wanted to see a movie that took place in such recent history especially reliving the pandemic which nobody wants to do um, you know, like the opening scenes of this movie are like you, you're, you're taken directly back into that time when nobody was out and you're sharing the subway with nobody and everybody's wearing a mask and you're all that weird shit that was going on when the pandemic and the lockdown started. Um, and it's it's about money and Wall Street and stocks and that turns people off, you know, and it's it, it weird and Adam McKay didn't write it. So people don't give a fuck and all this other stuff. And <laughs> Um, and, it, and, and to me, it was filled with some of the best performances of the year. I thought Paul Dano was great. Everybody else was, you know, like Seth Rogen and, and Nick Offerman, Vincent D'Onofrio. <laughs> an extraordinarily funny performance by Pete Davidson, who I think is, I think, should be nominated for Best Supporting Actor, but he won't. <laughs> 
Um, <laughs> and I just was like, I was compelled by everything, and I was rooting for the little guys in America. Ferreira, one of two amazing performances. Mm. And all of the people that who are buying the stocks and the movie tells the story of these little people who are like, man, I'm going to invest all my money and they've got like a grand to invest. And I just loved it. And, and, and Shailene Woodley, who, by the way, is great in this movie and not great in another movie that came out <laughs> this year. Uh-huh. Um, and I just was like so into it. And I think uh, Craig Gillespie has become this kind of spokesman for the underdog or the white trash uh, in this world, because like I Tanya was a movie that was I mean, Sebastian Stan, by the way, spectacular in this movie as he has yes. been in, in, <laughs> yes. ev- in everything that he's done with Gillespie. I mean, he's just you know, it's like a, it's like, it's like, a, it's kind of like a, as far it's a weird com- you know compliment, a compliment I think, but it's kind of like a De Niro Scorsese thing if Stan and Gillespie work together sure. and they have in like four different uh, four different things and he's great in all of them. Um, I just think Craig Gillespie is the guy now. I think he's great, and he and the, all the all the needle drops and the sound was hilarious. The, the music cues were hilarious. Uh, Chance uh, Clancy Brown um, uh, and oh shit, I can't remember who plays his mother, but the parents are awesome and hilarious in it. <laughs> I was compa- I was rooting for the little guys. I was rooting for the people, the college students and the nurses. Uh, the guys who are working retail in this shitty GameStop and have to put up with their asshole bosses. Um, the little guy does well, and the big guys are taken down. And I happen to just, I don't know, I, I, I respond to that. <laughs> I respond, Holy hell yeah. I respond to that. And, and, and this movie I responded to enormously. And I just think on the simplest of levels, it's insanely entertaining and very funny. You root for the little guys. They take down the bad guys. It's based on a true story. I loved it. I just, for me, one of the most flat-out, most entertaining movies of the year. Um, is dumb money number six? So you guys liked it, right? Or oh yeah, oh, yeah. no, yeah. it's very entertaining. Yeah, so I I just liked it more than everybody else on the planet yeah. did. And That's then fine. they kind of cha- didn't they change the title at one point when they to like the GameStop oh. story so that people well, will watch it when it's streaming because I know it's streaming now because I watched it with well, my girlfriend. Uh, there was a documentary that came out like a year right. ago that was like yeah. on MSNBC, and then yeah. um, so there was a much longer title for that. I don't remember if they changed the title of this I one think, or not. I think on the poster they did because they were trying because when it came out it bombed. I mean it bombed. Okay. The second time I saw it after you know we, they screened it for us and then I went to see it again in a theater. It was me and one other person in the <laughs> theater, and uh, but I know it, I think it was called Dumb Money: The GameStop Story. They added that GameStop story okay. in order for for there to be some sort of recognizable thing yeah that people yeah. could latch on to but it still has not made people watch it in any you know in any way that's justifiable because it's a terrific movie so anyway dumb yeah. i loved it i loved it and so that's number bugging me. i can't remember the actress that played the mom now it's bugging yeah me. i can't remember the actress that played my shirt <laughs> is it not shirley knight no surely not shirley knight um shit i can't remember now i'm just gonna, oh, you, I'm if, gonna if, if somebody dumb. can find it look it up who played the mom in dumb money uh she played clancy brown's wife in it she's the mom of pete yeah. davidson and paul dano Kate, and she's Kate burton Kate Burton, oh, oh my so God. good, right? So good, yeah. and oh, uh, it's just mm-hmm. I love. I that's love you, it. mom. Yeah, that's exactly. Yeah. <laughs> that's you, mom. He's in the smoking weed, watching the thing. It's so yeah, Pete Davidson is so good in it. So anyway, dumb money. Yeah. If you haven't seen it, really, uh, you know, maybe it's not something you want to relive. That you know, it's it's about stocks and bonds, and it's about the pandemic. And I know that doesn't sound appealing, but it's a truly, truly entertaining and inspirational movie. I I just love it. So mm-hmm. all right. Let's get into the top five. Five best movies yeah. of the year. Number f- number five, Eric. <clears throat> number five was on Steve's list earlier, uh, but The Teacher's Lounge, to me, uh, you want to talk about, like, single, basically single-setting stories that just ratchet up the, the tension in ways that, 
it's just again like steve said the the way that every little individual choice that we make in life can just affect everything like a butterfly effect and to see the story i think this is one of the i i, I don't have her name leonore banush i think is her the actress's name mm-hmm. one of the best performances of the year one of my favorite performances of the year and also showing you just how you know someone with a very kind of liberal mindset can have their world altered when things yeah. happen to them yeah. uh and just the way that that trans and, and it's completely justifiable in the movie like you both sides of of her thinking you sh- like a, a normal rational person should go like yeah she's kind of right on both sides uh and this shows how com- complex life can be sometimes but uh to put this in a, in a single setting and to watch people lie and shift blame and all these things that happen throughout the story uh like what a point where she just starts screaming in in, in the classroom and you're just like yeah. you're kind of there with her yeah. uh with it and yeah the teacher's lounge uh it's going to be opening uh like steve said at the music box soon people need to discover this movie because it really is one of the best of the year i do want to give a shout out to colin Suter, who is a teacher and thinks it's the best movie of the year so uh to uh to colin on that one okay number five teacher's lounge uh number five for you steve all right here we go my number five is christopher nolan's oppenheimer um and i i feel like it's there are times when it feels like you're watching a textbook, but then there are most of the time it's just this sprawling, visually engrossing, like cinematic lesson in technology and American hubris and ego run amok and just how petty and vindictive people can get when their pride is wounded. Um, I think really to me, when I boiled this story down, it was about these two men, uh, Oppenheimer played by Killian Murphy and Louis Strauss played and I think a remarkable performance by Robert Downey Jr. Um, as the sort of found, founding commissioner of the U.S. Atomic Energy Commission. They should have been friends. They should have been colleagues. And they're just at each other at a distance. And that's kind of the whole movie kind of is about that conflict. Um, and I and I responded to it. And I and I, and I have accused Nolan on multiple cases of kind of flopping a lot of times when it comes to directing emotion in some of his films, but here it's the dominant force, I think. And I think he handles it really beautifully. And I'm not sure, um, you know, I, I don't know how, I, I, I was not sure going into the release of this film, and we can talk about this a little more later, uh, that the world was ready for this three-hour R-rated, very grown-up thing in the heart of the summer, but I was, and it looked like the rest of the world was too. Um so, but but thanks in large part to Barbie. So anyway, we'll get to that later. But uh, anyway, I, I I just as its own piece though, I thought Oppenheimer was was one of the best. All right, okay. Uh, number five <laughs> on my list. Um, it was mentioned already. Are you there, God? It's me, Margaret. Um, one of the earliest surprises of the year. Um, and I shouldn't say really a surprise. Uh, because uh, Kelly Freeman Craig, uh, you know, you mentioned uh, Edge of Seventeen. That was one of my mm-hmm. favorite movies, and uh, you know, and and of course, when Judy Bloom saw that movie, she's like, "Yes, please, please mm-hmm. adapt my book." Um, classic book. I didn't read it when I was growing up, and obviously, you know, but I'm a 58 year old um, uh, man who, you know, I've never had a period, and I was crying my eyes out during all of this movie. I thought it was beautiful. <laughs> I loved it, and uh, didn't expect <laughs> to like it as much as I did. Um, absolutely one of the best uh, movies of the year. And I think, um, you know, one of the more important ones. And, uh, and I love the fact that it crossed over, not just to, 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 to women and to, to, to young girls, 
but uh, to just the, the, the population in general, men in general and everybody in general. It's just a great movie, and it doesn't have to be a specific audience that sees it, that loves it. And I loved every frame of it. I was moved by it. I thought it was great. I think Kelly, Kelly Freeman Craig is great. And I will say this. Um, I, the happiest moment, one of the happiest moments of sitting in a movie theater this year was when I saw... Uh, the, when I saw the the logo uh, for for um, <laughs> for uh, uh, James L. Brooks's company, and I heard for yeah yeah Gracie films, yeah. I was like, oh, this is gonna be good. That means it's gonna be good, <laughs> and it was because James L. Brooks rules the planet. So, and he's got a movie coming out this year, doesn't he? Uh, supposedly, yeah, yeah supposedly we'll right see. now. Yeah, okay. Well, anyway, are you there, God? It's me, Margaret. My fifth favorite movie of the year, a genuine surprise and a great movie. Okay. Number four on your list, Eric. My number four is Celine Song's Past Lives, uh, which uh, just shot a dagger into my heart. Uh, You know, as you get older and you start thinking about all the choices that you make over time and you think about, you know, we had a conversation at the end of this movie at the the festival and all of us were sort of thinking about, you know, the ones that got away. And that's, you know, the the, sort of the preeminent uh, theme of this movie, obviously, but just the directorial choices that are made throughout the story. And I think every male in the film can relate to being either one of these two guys in the film, uh, which is really hard, hard, hard to handle at times. Um, Greta Lee, I think gives a, a, just a transcendent performance in this movie. I've only seen her in a few things like on the morning show where her character is not really written that great. Uh, But in on past lives, I think she is just, she's just luminescent on screen and the the way that this film resolves uh is just i mean i walked out of there just like like i didn't want to speak to anyone afterwards so thankfully you guys were there so i spoke to you yeah but uh <laughs> but uh but yeah no it is just a movie that just stuck with me and stuck with me and i think anyone who's had any of these experiences and who hasn't really uh will respond to this okay past lives number four all right uh steve what's your number four uh, Anatomy of a Fall, already mentioned once. Uh, Justine Triate's uh, phenomenal. I mean, it's part mystery. I almost said murder mystery, but we don't know if it's a murder. Um, and just, but, but, and this, but I, to me, it was the courtroom drama. And I think, I swear to God, every single person I know who has seen this movie, because uh, we played at the music box for a long time, it did really well for us, came up to me and was like, is that really how courtrooms are in France? Like, because they just can talk whenever they want and they can like, and it was a real eye opener. And I'm like, man, I kind of wish it was more like that in the United States. Cause I feel like more would get done, but, but, and I feel like there's, I, I, I don't have the actor's name. The actor that plays the, the prosecutor. No, he's, in this yeah, he's, yeah, he's great. The best yeah. thing in the movie. And, and yeah. I say that yeah. thinking Sandra Hewler is probably going to get an Oscar nomination, but like, He's so good in this, and you just end up hating him, even though you're supposed to be kind of rooting for him because he's sort of trying to get to the truth, but he's got his very... Ver- and, and this is one of those movies where you there's three possible solutions, and it's she did it, she didn't do it, or we're never going to know. And and you have to be prepared for that third one being a very real possibility. And I realize that sounds frustrating, but I don't know too many people that got frustrated over that. So... Um, it's the scariest outcome um it's probably the most realistic outcome and yeah like i said it it, this film blesses us with one of the great anti-villains if there is such a thing of the oh i do have his name antoine reynarts that's his name remember that name because he's he's a bald bastard who you who you love (laughs) to death in this movie so anyway you love to hate him and he's great and yeah i think this movie is just the, the screenplay is is what got me i think it's terrific 
Okay. That's uh, number four. Okay. My uh, my number four has been mentioned already. It's Alexander Payne's The Holdovers, um, which, I mean, I love Alexander Payne. Uh, I Look, I love him so much, I like downsizing. That's how much I love him. Um, <laughs> and, uh, and uh, you know, I mean, this is the first movie he's made with Paul Giamatti since Sideways, and Sideways is one of my favorite films of all time. And, uh, and uh, you know, the, the three central performances in this movie are beautiful. It is unbelievably funny. It is also really moving. Uh, if you're not laughing, you're crying. It's also an incredible holiday movie that I will be watching during the Christmas season uh, for years to come. Um, and uh, it just it's everything that you could want from a movie. And it's also a great period piece. They capture 1970 uh, spectacularly well. The production design, the costumes, all of that stuff. Um, and, uh, you know, the, 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 the slow reveals that you learn about all of these characters and why they are the way they are and why they are these people that are stuck together. They don't want to be together. They're stuck at this lonely, big boarding school for the holidays, which is always either a, a joyous or unbelievably depressing time. And uh, the more that is revealed in this beautifully written screenplay and beautifully acted and beautifully directed about these characters, the more you care. And by the end of the movie, you're rooting for them, you love them, and you're moved by everything that happens. Um, three of the best uh, characters of the year, three of the best performances of the year, and, uh, and just, again, Alexander Payne knocking it out of the park. Um, you know, whenever I see this guy's name on a, on a movie, um, you know, I know it's going to be great. And I, I love The Holdovers. So number four on my list is The, is the Holdovers. So there it is. Okay. We're in the top three now. Uh, Eric, what is your number three movie of the year? My number three movie of the year is Are You There, God? It's Me, Margaret. There you uh, go. Which I, I, I just revisited recently. I wanted to see if my lovingly my loving memory of this movie held up since I it's last seen in April. And man, did it ever. Uh, you know, it's you know, in many respects, it's kind of a plotless movie. I mean, it's a very basic sort of coming of age. Uh, there's a lot of uh, story, little bits in the movie, the little vignettes and whatnot about with their friends and uh, the the parents and the way that the the absentee grandparents are handled throughout the movie and the way that uh, you know here's a movie you know we got all of these faith based movies and everyone gets up in arms about religion and even critics you know bashing these movies and whatnot here's a movie that treats religion with respect uh, you know even when they're you know saying negative things about it there's a respect there and the people that do harbor religion and use religion for their benefit and you know it also shows the harms of it as well particularly in someone growing up uh but that that's just one of the many pieces of this movie the the lead performance by abby Ryder fortson is just fantastic rachel mcadams does some really beautiful there's a, there's a monologue in this movie where she has to explain to her ch kid why they don't talk to her parents anymore yeah. and it's so beautiful and heartbreaking uh, this movie is funny it is beautiful and like you nick at the end of this movie when everything you know well, everything that happens i shed a tear and the, i think the final mo line of this movie which i think is the yeah. final line of the book as well is as good as any of the final lines that we've yeah. seen this year and yeah. again i have no connection to judy bloom i know there are people well super fudge is that a judy bloom book and that's the one that everyone was reading back then even the the Judy Bloom book that I thought I had read turns out wasn't even a Judy Bloom book. So that's how far <laughs> I have from Judy Bloom. Uh, but uh, but this one, Are You There, God? It's Me, Margaret. A marvelous movie. Yeah, it's a great movie. Now, Wonderful. and there is there is a there is a pretty strong possibility 
I mean, I don't know what's what we're we're doing in terms of uh, handicapping the Oscars, but there's a strong possibility yeah. that Rachel McAdams is going to get supporting actress nomination. I would, I would. There's a very good chance that she's going to get nominated. I have a feeling that the screenplay is going to get yeah, shut yeah. out by the zone of interest. That's where I'm leaning right now. Yeah, but yeah. Uh, but I think Rachel McAdams is going to sneak in there. Okay. All right. Terrific movie, and on all of our lists, uh, a great great movie, and pretty high mm-hmm. on our lists too. Outstanding. Yeah. All right. Are you there? Got it's me, Margaret. All right. Um, and uh, number three for you, Steve. Uh, yeah, I can't believe I have this higher than you guys. The holdovers, uh, Alexander Payne. Wow. Yeah. So, um, this is, and I, I'm going to throw out some names we haven't mentioned yet regarding this. And speaking of Oscar worthy supporting actress performances, divine joy Randolph is my top choice in this category. So, yeah. uh, I, did she, wait, did she win our critics award? I yes. forget. She uh-huh. did. Yeah. So yeah. Okay. So I'm not, I'm not off. Okay. Nope. So, uh, no, I, I think in my mind she's the front runner but i yeah i i think she she gives a, a couple of of monologues here that just broke my heart and then broke it again and um and then also the screenplay by david hemmingson uh is is celebra- i mean it's celebratory it's it's about those people who kind of got left behind by life and uh and and like you said nick each character kind of gets their moments to let us know the story behind the story and and we keep getting our hearts broken but it's also screamingly funny like it's like an insightful and i you know i keep when i talk about it i talk about how you know how lonely these people are now but they somehow finding each other makes them hilarious and um and i think that yeah i think we can't overstate how funny this movie is uh perhaps even like first and foremost it's funny um so yeah, I, 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 it's all been said, but uh, this is a, yeah, I, I was, I was a tiny bit surprised how, how much I kept putting behind it, like on my list, like below it, but I'm like, no, this has got to be up there somewhere. So yeah. yeah. Okay. The holdovers, three out of three. All right. Number three on my list is going to be mentioned, uh, I think, uh, by at least one person. Um, number three on my list is Poor Things. Um, mm-hmm. This is uh, Yorgos Lanthimos' new uh, crazy-ass movie featuring, I mean, we're talking about a lot of great uh, female performances this year, but none better than Emma Stone. Emma Stone gave, well, without question, it's the best performance uh, that uh, mm-hmm. anybody has given this year, male or female. Uh, it's an astonishingly weird movie. Uh, I've seen it three times, and it gets better every time I see it. Um, supporting work from uh, Willem Dafoe and a hilarious uh, Mark Ruffalo. Um, kind of a Frankenstein story, kind of not. Um, I think we all know what's going on and in it. Uh, Willem Dafoe plays a mad scientist who brings this woman back to life by using uh, the brain of the baby that was inside her when she killed herself. And it's about um, Emma Stone's character, um, Bella, who is uh, experiencing life. All of it, like from birth to, you know, middle age or to, to, to a certain age and everything in between and learning about it, learning how to use your body, learning how to use your mind, learning how to use your sexuality. Uh, and it covers all of that in the weirdest kind of style uh, with the strangest circumstances, some very, very weird cinematography and de- production design. Uh, it has an otherworldly fantasy feel to it throughout the entire movie, but you're still connected to it emotionally. Uh, it's also unbelievably funny and uh, kind of creepy and weird and gooey um, and centered <laughs> in the middle of all of this absolute craziness is an incredible performance uh, by Emma Stone, who I think is, I mean, I don't know, the odds on favor to win. I, the only thing is that this movie is so 
so crazy and so out there. And I don't know how it's doing box office wise. I don't know what people, the general public is thinking about this movie. I can't imagine them not walking out going, what the fuck was that? You know? Um, (laughs) And I can't imagine them like coming in from Christmas shopping and going, Hey, let's see an Emma Stone movie. And then 45 minutes in going, what are we, what, what, why are we here? Uh, So I, but in all its weirdness and all its insane glory, I loved this movie. And I think Poor Things is uh, the third best movie of the year. So, but I don't know. Is it doing okay at the box office? Are people seeing it? Yeah, in that limited capacity, it went semi-wide uh, like a couple weeks ago. And it was like in the top 10 this past weekend, marginally yeah. so. Um, yeah. So it's it's on, it's in that limited realm where it's on the run up to the Oscar nominations in a few weeks. Yeah. And yeah. I think that's when Searchlight and Disney will take right. it further. And it'll, yeah. you know, it's, it's a little bit behind I, like the, what The Favorite did. Yeah, uh, I can't. A couple yeah, years but ago. the but the favorite is a much more accessible movie than this one. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so anyway, it'll be interesting to see what happens. But goddamn, Emma Stone, so amazing. Yeah. Right? So all right, poor things. Number three. All right, let's go to number two. We're in the top two right now. Uh, Eric, what is number two yeah. on your list? My number two is Christopher Nolan's Oppenheimer. Uh, you know, I am just uh, amazed watching his films, and I hate. You know, it's, it seems like anytime I have to mention Christopher Nolan, I have to defend myself for not being quote-unquote fanboy i just i think the guy makes incredible movies and i'm always stunned at the way that through his cinematography and his editing and his storytelling that he's able to take even seemingly the most mundane type of stories and turn them into roller coaster rides the way that the pacing of a a three-hour biopic about the guy who created the bomb without even showing the actual bombing sequence which i think is a fantastic choice in this movie uh, is it, just it, it plays like a roller coaster, and like the last hour of this movie, where it's basically people sitting in a room yelling at each other over the choices that they've made for the previous two hours, is was absolutely riveting to me. And it's a r- reminder of again, sort of like two things can be true, just like the teachers' lounge that there was a necessity to do what was done, and yet there can be absolute guilt involved in as a nation and as individuals and what we perpetrated during uh, the war and to see people work through that guilt and blame shifting and the way that the politics of that day don't you know completely mirror some of the politics of today uh, I think is an extraordinary uh, accomplishment uh, and it was my number two okay all right uh, Steve your number two my number two is Barbie uh cultural domination aside barbie begins as something kind of playful and colorful and musical and transforms itself into like a testament of what it means to be human and female and a powerful agent of oneself uh i think what margot robbie and ryan gosling are doing here aside from having the time of their life is just like just like taking something very surface level and turning it into something and within the structure of their performance is turning into something much deeper still very funny uh these people are dealing with crises of identity and they question their very existence they they're thinking about death and it's but it's all done to like a highly infectious dance beat when there's like great music in this thing including what i think is one of the great music moments of the year uh with billy eilish's song and then and it kind of just carries us to a conclusion that incorporates everything from childhood dreams to, you know, doctor's appointments. So anyway, the the very human thing of doctor's appointments. So anyway, it, it 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 the film caught fire 
because everyone could see themselves and I think one of these characters, human or otherwise, probably most of us identified with weird Barbie. But anyway, it's a uh, yeah, number 2. Okay. Uh, my number two is Birth Rebirth, uh, which um, I saw at the Chicago Critics Film Festival. Ended up uh, talking with the filmmaker Laura Moss afterwards, uh, having them on my show, on the podcast. Um, and uh, it, it is, it's, it's odd because my top three movies are oddly connected. There's a weird, this year, the, for some reason, my top three films have a, an underlying, through, they have a through line um, where they're connected. Um, and, you know, when I get to my number one, you'll see why, because Poor Things is number three, Rebirth, Rebirth is number two, and that, obviously, there's a connection there <laughs> between those mm-hmm. two movies. Yeah, yeah. And then when you hear what my number one is, there's a connection between all three of them, and uh, thematically, and what they're kind of about, and they could be companion pieces. You could watch all three of these movies, my top three, like, in a row, and uh, they somehow, they work together. They, they really do complement each other in one way. But Birth, Rebirth, you mentioned what it was about already, uh, Steve. Um, um, it is, it is, you know, as Laura Moss described it, uh, her movie is horror adjacent, as she had described it, uh, which is an interesting way to put it because it does have horror elements to it. Um, when I when I walked up to to them at the at the film festival, uh, they were like, I mentioned Dead Ringers, and uh, and they said, Yeah, I completely ripped off Cronenberg. That was the first thing that they said to me, and uh, so we talked about the inspiration of that, and um, and the performances are all amazing. It's also one of the things that that wasn't mentioned, Steve, was just how funny the movie is too, because there's mm-hmm. oh yeah a lot of funny shit in this movie. I mean, a lot. Marin Ireland is unbelievably <laughs> funny in it, and it's creepy. It's a great piece of horror. It's a great piece about motherhood and loss. Uh, in dealing with that. And um, there's a lot going on in this movie. I think it's one of the most important films of the year. Um, an extraordinary feature debut. This is, this is uh, Laura Moss's first feature. Um, mm-hmm. they, were at the, they were at the festival a few years ago for a short that they made, but this is, this is the first feature. Um, and it's an incredible feature film debut, one of the best I've seen in a long, long time. So Birth, Rebirth, wholly original. It's out there streaming. I know it was on Shutter for a while. And I think it's actually streaming on a bunch of different services, but it's called Birth, Rebirth. Um, one of the most original, kind of disturbing, very funny, um, and, and uh, really significant pieces of cinema of the year. So that was my number two is Birth, Rebirth. So there you go. All right, let's go to number one. And I think, Eric, if I'm not mistaken, I think you and I are going to have the same number one. And this might be the first time since Mad I think since Mad Max, I think. Uh, that might, that's very possible. I if you are correct in guessing what my oh, number well, one is. Oh, well, all right. Okay, well, then here we, let's see. <laughs> what is number one on Eric Childress's list? My number one is Barbie. Oh, we have uh, the same number one yes, then, yes. Yes, okay. we do. Uh, you know, I mean, <laughs> as as critics and especially as movie lovers, we, we, we all, we're always on the search for a movie that is just the complete package. We want a yeah. movie that is going to stir all our emotions, you know, tingle our intellect a bit, you know, give us something that we haven't seen before, put spins on certain things. I mean, there, there, there are so many elements into our critical mindset that we look for sometimes, and sometimes just things pop up when you don't expect it. And Barbie, it was that movie this year it is incredibly funny it is incredibly uh prescient about the world of you know where we are as far as you know feminism and uh just the divide between men and women uh, have been for you know centuries really uh but where <laughs> where we can possibly go and and yet have empathy for all of it you know there's you know people want to say that you know the kens are the villains and stuff like that and there's there's actually empathy for some of the things that they have to go through in this movie 
while at the same time reminding us that women have to go through a lot more. Yeah. Uh, and again, these, I mean, Ryan Gosling, yeah, I mean, this guy <laughs> has just become one of the preeminent comic actors of his generation. I mean, yeah. just nothing this guy has done comedically, I don't think has flopped yeah. uh, performance-wise at this point. Uh, Margaret Robbie, uh, I think it, it, it's going to be sad to me if Ryan Gosling is the only acting nomination that comes out of this. I think Margot Robbie's, it's, she's right there, and she yeah. might get overlooked, but especially the second time that I saw this movie, seeing choices that oh, she yeah. makes in this movie yeah. are just so wonderful to behold. And again, that, that supporting cast is just filled with a who's who, and everybody gets their laughs. Everybody yeah. in this movie. And it's got musical numbers, and, uh, and, and the, like you said, the best final line of the year. Yeah. Uh, and it's the best monologue of the year, uh, arguably. And it's yep. just, it's the complete package. Barbie was the complete package. Uh, I didn't mean to put Bar- Barbie and Oppenheimer 1-2 as some kind of stunt yeah. and, on my list, but that's just the way it played out. And But Barbie won the day. Yeah, well, it's interesting because, like, I, I will say this: the the critic screening that we went to was also a screening. There was a it was a public screening as well, so it was kind of a packed place. And yeah, um, and there were a lot of girls who were showing up in pink, and people a, a lot, lot of, of pink. a lot of influencers there with their little with their little phones and doing all their shit. And I'm telling you right now, I was sitting with you guys. We were all sitting in the same section. Mm-hmm. The biggest laughs and the most consistent fun that anybody was having were the fucking critics that night. Yep. You know what I mean? Like that. We, like, we were we were like nine year olds. Like it was unbelievable. When it was over, we were like, "Oh my god, that was so funny!" It was like we were little girls. Yeah. It was unbelievable and one of the most joyous experiences I had at a screening all year yeah. was just all of us looking at each other when it was over, going, "Holy shit!" You know. Like, <laughs> yeah. You know. <laughs> so, that just happened. Yeah. Unbelievable. Um, unbelievable. And I had and I identify with Alan, by the way. <laughs> yeah. That out there. yeah. That's yeah. totally me. Yeah. By the way, he kicks ass too. Like that scene where he's beating the shit Hilarious. out of him. It's unbelievable. Uh, yeah. Okay, so number it was number two on Steve's list and number one on. Uh, Eric's list, and it is number one on my list. We'll get to that in a second, and I'll, and I'll make it official. But number one on Steve's list is... Let me just say real quick in terms of, of surprises this year, I think the biggest surprise for me was how after studios spend literally hundreds of millions of dollars on marketing ideas and trying to boost their movies, and it was basically social media that paired these two films together, Oppenheimer and Barbie, yeah. and, and boosted them and somehow made these two movies that no... No, they they were literally released on the same day, partly because they thought there was no overlapping audience for the two and made it like the most successful marketing strategy of the year. Well, I mean, it started and it was out all in the hands of fan and like yeah. memes and like fucking yeah. social media. Oh, no, no, no. It's so, great. I love that. It's the story of the year. There's no question about it. It's yeah. absolutely the movie story of the year is that these two movies made all this money and that people were going to see them together. And, and I guarantee you uh, Oppenheimer wouldn't have made that kind of, mo- that kind of money, yeah. not, 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 not in any reflection of the quality of the film. I'm just saying it wouldn't have made that kind of money or got that kind of attention had they not been paired up like that. Yeah. But the thing is, it started out as this vindictive bullshit by Warner brothers <laughs> trying to go after Nolan for breaking his contract with them or not working yeah. with them because of the yeah. way they handled, uh, <laughs> because of the way they handled tenant. So they were, so Warner brothers was being dicks about it. We're like, Oh, okay. Okay. Nolan, you're going to release our movie on the same day and we're going to bury you. And it didn't happen. So fuck you. And even though I didn't like Oppenheimer, you know what I mean? Like, like it started out as this vindictive bullshit that Warner Brothers did. And then it turns out that they worked together.
together. The movies work together. You know, and also not only that, but members of the cast of Oppenheimer showed their tickets to Barbie online and and, mm-hmm. and, and, and vice versa. So the two movies from beautiful. two different theaters, they supported each other's movies, and it's the most beautiful supportive story of the cinema year without question. So it backfired. Warner Brothers yeah. little, you know, fuck you, Nolan, we're gonna do this to fuck you up. It backfired and good. <laughs> and absolutely good. So Anyway, just, but, and one last thing I'll say is if Variety on, on YouTube, go watch the inner, they have these thing where they have celebrities, like actors interviewing actors. Yeah. And they, they pair them very beautifully, right. actually. And they have Margot Robbie and Killian Murphy talking to each other. And to hear them walk through the experience of that yeah. from their perspective is fascinating. It is. And yeah. really interesting. Yeah. And I highly recommend people go check that out. Anyway, yeah. okay. You're number, number one. one. Number one, poor things. There um, you go. So I did not put this and Barbie side by side on purpose. And I would, and literally in my notes, Nick, it says I would throw birth rebirth in that mix yeah, too. No, that's exactly is, right. is that, <laughs> yep. although it's, it's further down on my list, but it is yep. in my top 10. And because yep. they're all about like, well, they're, the, these two at least are about women finding their place in the world, which they, yep. in a world that they don't quite fit in. And yep. so rather than change who they are, they kind of make the world change to suit them a little bit. And, and I and I think Yorgos Lanthimos tells just like one fantastical, incredible story after another. Emma Stone, like you said, performance of the year, absolutely. Um, uh, lots of great supporting players, um, but the the and and just when you and weirdly like just when you think it's winding down in the third act. We get like a whole other character in Christopher Abbott yeah, showing yeah. up, right? And 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 and, just Mar- like and Margaret Qualley and, and Margaret Margaret Qualley, Qualley <laughs> but like, but him in particular, like, yeah. really throwing a wrench in where we think that he literally interrupts a wedding, like it's yeah. like, and so it it just it causes trouble and leads to scenarios that I you could never have predicted, and it, the, the whole movie and the reason it's number one is because it, it gave me hope. For like the art of filmmaking and the art of storytelling, the art of dressmaking, the acting, junk <laughs> science, like humor, it's all in there. And it's just like it had it all and left none of it un- undercooked. Like it's yeah. all fully realized, the visuals, the the writing, the acting. And I, I had you and I, Nick, this is unusual because we saw this. We both saw this the two times together. Yes. And I had to see it a second time, not because I just loved it so much, although that's part of it, because I was so distracted the first time thinking about how the hell did they film this anyway, but chronologically, because I don't understand how Emma, Emma yeah, Stone could have played that character. I know, I know, I know. And, and, she, and she probably, and I know how movies are made. I know that's not how it usually works, yeah, yeah. but if they did that any other way, then she's even more of a genius than I thought I she was. So, yeah. um, so no, anyway, so yes, I just wanted to watch it again, like, and not get distracted by thinking about that stuff. Yeah, yeah. Anyway. All right, well, my, my, my number one is Barbie. We talked all about it. It's the, you know, the, that and Oppenheimer were the big cultural stories of the year in terms of cinema. I just think Barbie's amazing. I think Greta Gerwig is three for three, and this is her masterpiece. I loved it on every single level. It made me laugh. It made me cry. The songs were were beautiful. The, the musical stuff was fantastic. All the performances were great. Um, it had so much to say. I, I adore the movie. I love it. It is. I'm so glad that it made the billions of dollars that the billion dollars that it made. 
Uh, I very rarely have the number one box office smash as my number one movie of the year. <laughs> and a lot of people were surprised by it. I get hell from a lot of people for putting it so high on my list. And I know that, you know, Eric, you're not one of them because you and I both nope. number one. <laughs> and it is absolutely without question the best movie of the year. And I loved it. And uh, it also happened to be the big, you know, cultural movie story of the year as well. So Barbie, my favorite movie of the year. So. Uh, great list. We have a lot in common. And Eric, first time you and I have had the number one since Fury Road. Uh, yeah, so it's been a yeah. While. So interesting. And uh, and and Steve, number two. Your your top mm-hmm. two are in my top three and yeah. all that stuff. So we had a lot in common this year. Now let's do the worst. Now I'm just going to fly through. Oh, I can't wait. I have a list of the 20 <laughs> worst movies of the year. I'll start with number 20, and they will go up to the worst. Okay. Uh huh. Um, and I'll fly through the titles. We can do that. Fly through the titles. If we want to make comments, we can. Uh, number 20 is The Color Purple. Uh, number nine is Wish. I saw those back to back, and somehow I just when I was putting my list together, I was so I was so pissed off that I just put them on there because I hated them so much. Number nine is Ins- Insidious, The Red Door, or I'm sorry, uh, that's uh, eighteen. Seventeen is Maestro. Sixteen, Mafia Mama. Fifteen, The Killer. Uh, Fourteen, Skinamarink. Thirteen, My Big Fat Greek Wedding. Three, twelve, Fast X. Eleven, uh, eighty for Brady. Sorry, number ten, fucking Oppenheimer. Number nine, The Flash. Number eight, Napoleon. Number seven, Gran Turismo. Uh, number six, <laughs> Asteroid City. Number five, sorry, uh, uh, sorry, Eric, but uh, Indiana Jones and that dial thing. Oh, yeah, no. Four, Knock at the Cabin, <laughs> Shamalama Ding Dong. Uh, three, About My Father with Italian Dane Cook. And, uh, Robert <laughs> uh, number two, and I will say this, number two, which might be the worst movie of the year, technically, certainly the most, was the worst in terms of like absolute hilarity, so bad it's Plan 9 funny is Spinning Gold, the story of uh, Casablanca Records. <laughs> That's number yep. two. But number one for me, which I, I put it number one, maybe technically not the worst movie, but the most offensive to me was A Good Person, Zach Braff's movie where he yeah. um, has no clue what fucking uh, recovery is about. And, 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 and despite the fact that Florence Pugh is in it, Martin and uh, you know, Morgan Freeman and, and Molly Shannon, and they're not bad in it, um, I was so deeply offended uh, by it. Um, in its inaccuracy, especially in its portrayal of AA, that I had to put it at number one because it made me angry. But spinning gold, ridiculously horrible. <laughs> so that, that's where my 20 worst. Uh, Eric, what are yours? Uh, uh, I'll just quickly say, there's only two movies on your list that I liked. So okay. there's, at least there's that. Okay. Uh, and I didn't, see your one, I didn't see your number one or number two. So there you go. So, oh, okay. Yeah, right. so I'll have to catch up with those lovely things. Not necessarily, uh, but, but okay. Oh, what? Okay. Well, Spinning Gold, uh, but, you should. Spinning Gold, you should. Yeah, that's all, that that's all one I right. definitely need to. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Um, okay, uh, my number 20 is The Little Mermaid. Uh, 19, Sympathy for the Devil. 18, Landscape with Invisible Hand. 17, Napoleon. <clears throat> 16, Dick's the Musical. Uh, 15, A Creature <laughs> Was Stirring. Uh, number 14, The Exorcist Believer. 13, Retribution. 12, Gran Turismo. Mm-hmm. Uh, 11, Kids vs. Aliens. Uh, number 10, Ghosted. Number 9, On a Wing and a Prayer. Number 8, Quicksand. Number 7, The Devil Conspiracy. Number 6, <laughs> Onyx the Fortuitous and the Talisman of Souls. Uh-huh. Uh, number 5, Your Place or Mine with Reese Witherspoon and Ashton Kutcher. Oh, uh, number 4, Mafia Mama. Number three, Five Nights at Freddy's. Number two, About My Father. And number one, the worst movie of the year, the remake of White Men Can't Jump. Oh, my God. Okay. Mm. All right. I guess I forgot, yeah. conveniently forgot about that. All right, Steve, oh. your, 20, your 20 worst movies of the year. Okay, mine, mine are not ranked except for number one. I do have okay. a number one. Uh, but right. these, so this is in no particular order, not even alphabetically. 
Um, okay, Expendables 4. Uh, the Family Plan. Uh, Heart of Stone. Uh, Ghosted. Ooh, Ghosted. Um, now, I don't ever put documentaries on my list, but I did this year. Anna Nicole Smith, You Don't Know Me. Oh. Uh, terrible. Uh, the Little Mermaid. Children of the Corn, the remake, obviously. Pet Cemetery, Bloodlines. One True Loves. I can't believe neither of you had Meg to the Trench on your list. Um, yeah. Hypnotic. Uh, Plane from the beginning of the year. Uh, <laughs> uh, Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny. Sorry, got to put it on there. Uh, we have a ghost. Uh, here it is. Uh, Nick spinning gold. Definitely yeah. oh deserves God. to be up there. Uh, 80 for Brady. Because fuck Diane Keaton. Oh, wait, no, she's not even in that one. Or is no, she? she's, is she not, no one? she's not in that one. No, she's not in that <laughs> one. She feels like she should be. <laughs> yeah, anyway, yeah. but still, yeah. fuck Diane Keaton. Okay. Uh, Candy Cane <laughs> Lane. Um, Wish, also there. And uh, the big George Foreman movie. So, because yeah. oh, oh, my number one, and I yeah. think it's the only one of these that's on all three of our lists, is Mafia Mama. Just yeah. Horrific. It made me sad for Tony Collette. Okay. Yeah. All right. Well, that's it. Um, uh, those are our top 20 uh, best and top 20 worst. Um, and we have a few in common. And uh, it was a good year, an interesting year. And we'll do it all again uh, next year. So uh, I'm yes. looking forward to it. There's a lot of stuff coming out I'm looking forward to, man. Um, uh, I mean, obviously, Furiosa is the biggest one for me. And sure. Dune 2. Th- and Dune 2 right. are the ones that I'm most looking forward to. So. Should be a pretty good year. You're going to be all, all right. over Warner Brothers this year, Nick. Yeah, right. absolutely. <laughs> absolutely right, Matt. Absolutely right. Okay. All right, uh, Steve, uh, Eric, thank you for a great year, and uh, we'll continue yeah, to do you. it. And, and I'll talk to you guys in a couple of weeks with all the new movies. Sounds great. All right. All right. Okay, there you later. go. All right, see you later. There's uh, Eric, and there is Steve. And uh, that is the episode, uh, Esmeralda taking uh, the week off. So those are the best and the worst movies of the year, according to me, Eric, and Steve. Hope you uh, go out and see some of them, or you can connect with some of them, or see them. We'd love to have the love to have you check them out. So that was fun. Always great talking to Eric and Steve. And they again every other week we review all the new movies to keep you informed. You want to jump in here? Leave a voicemail anytime. Questions, comments of any kind. 773-417-6948. Open 24-7. Call us. Drop us an email anytime you want. NickDpodcast at gmail.com. You should be a sponsor of this podcast. Lots of people listen to it. And it would help you out. Advertise with us. Sales at RadioMisfits.com. Jason Skaggs does all the music and the sound and the weirdness. Please take the time to share, rate, and review us on every platform. Check us out at RadioMisfits.com. Check out our 24-hour streaming service featuring this um, uh, podcast, my other podcast about Saturday Night Live. That show hasn't been funny in years. All the other great podcasts and unheard music. RadioMisfits.live. It's like radio, only cooler, 24-7, free. RadioMisfits.live. Ed, thank you and everybody at Radio Misfits. And please join us next time on the Nick D Podcast. Thanks, everybody. 